This is Daniel Burnett with TrainLikeARanger.com. Today I have Z back on the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, I'm back. Good to see you. So actually, we we tried to do this uh, once already, and my internet was terrible. So thank you for the patience and for coming back on. So uh, yeah, that being said, uh, again, I I never know how to start these things. I got a list of questions for uh, Instructor Z here. He, uh, it's, it's not every day you get to pick the brain of, of somebody who is, uh, well-versed in the field. So I'm excited to pick your brain on these things. And, uh, and so that being said, I wanted to ask you what your idea of the best concealed carry weapon is. All right. So, uh, for those out there, because, you know, me and you talked about this yesterday. Yes, we did. Um, <laughs> and I, I went along the lines. I don't get too crazy with it, right? So, uh, best concealed carry weapon, um, obviously a pistol, and I, I wear a Glock 19. Um, so something small enough that you can conceal, but also meet in the middle with uh, large enough or caliber-wise that uh, it can do what you want it to do. Which everything will do what you want it to do if you hit in the right spot. But I guess people are worried about you know the the phrase stopping power, right? But stopping power is really about accuracy more so than just hitting people, right? Nobody's just flying and falling over. So uh, caliber-wise, nine millimeter, and we talked about a lot of the reasons. Uh, it's just a utilitarian caliber, really, because it's 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 a little bit cheaper than most. And, I mean, with all the ammo prices being crazy like they are right now, everything's expensive and hard to find. For a lot of people yep but nine millimeter i'd say uh, most people besides the the hardcore 1911 45 guys most people have adapted to, to using nine millimeter because it's more bang for your buck right you can train with it and it's not killing you uh, potentially in the pocketbook and it's and it's uh big enough to do the job for our purposes all our uh, intents and purposes so um as far as the type of handgun i don't really get into it too much with guys I, I tell them you know reliable obviously something reliable don't just buy anything um that hasn't been tested and proven right and and that most brands i'd say if you bought at a gun store like uh as far as the condition of the gun um, from the factory, most of them are going to be fairly safe as long as you know how they, they operate and how they work. Now you get into different uh, safety mechanisms like the Glock has internal safety mechanisms. That way you can drop it and it won't necessarily just go off. Like some guns have done that before in the past. And there are some guns that are, are more prone to that than others. Glock's fairly safe, fairly proven. Um, I've used it for a long time and uh, I'm not especially biased towards it. It's just, that's what I use and that's what I'm, I'm familiar with. So I don't really see a, a good reason to change from that. Uh, other people that doesn't don't have a real background or, or necessarily uh, a lot of time with one particular brand or, or type handgun, I think, you know, find what you like, find something that fits your hand, find something that you think is reliable, do your research. Just because people say it's one thing doesn't necessarily mean it is. So just see for yourself and then uh, uh, get a little bit of background information on the safety and how it works. 
So uh, speaking of safety, mind the Glock, anybody that knows Glocks knows that there's no external safety manipulation mechanism that turns safety on, safety off, or a decocker with a hammer and all that stuff. Um, it's essentially just, you know, keeping your finger off the trigger, protecting that trigger the best you can until it's time to touch the trigger. Um, I kind of like that. I've trained with that a lot. And, you know, I've used other guns as well, used students' guns where they're using a safety. And it's pretty easy to get used to, but it is something that you have to program in if you're used to one without a safety. So just find what's good for you. Some people want that safety on there. Uh, if you feel safer with that, if you think that's better, do it. I mean, so utilitarian can use it in a lot of different ways, like a, a nine mil uh, Glock 19 for me. I was looking at my gun sitting over here. Um, it's, it's, it's small enough that I can conceal it, but still big enough to where it fits in my hand pretty well for a bigger guy like myself. Uh, it's not something that I got to like have my pinky hanging off, which some people get those guns. And I just, to me, it's such a difference in shooting a compact gun, sort of sub compact gun when I shoot that I feel like I just, I would avoid putting the time in necessary to use that gun because I just don't feel as comfortable with it. I want to have my full hand on the gun. Um, and you see like with mine, even here, I have the little pierce grips that added to my magazine because my hand still is kind of big for this gun frame. So I got to have a little something extra uh, right there. Yeah. So that's just big enough for me. And, uh, but it's, it's really dependent upon the person, just obviously reliable equipment, something that you can conceal, something that works for the job that you want, something that, and we talked about as far as concealability or size, uh, it not being cumbersome because if it's cumbersome and that's a problem for you to put it on every day, then you're going to start doing the human thing, which is to shy away from messing with that and just leave it in the car or leave it at home even, or leave it over here and then really defeats the purpose of even having it. Right. Yeah. Unless you just train real, you I mean, that's what you have to do. And then you train like going to that gun, wherever it is quickly and have a plan or a strategy for that situation. So, uh, something that I don't mind wearing too bad. Yeah, I know it's there, but, um, uh, it's a good exchange for me. It's not too cumbersome where I'm just putting it off and like, man, that's too big. It's bothering me or whatever. My wife, she carries a little, uh, single stack. What is it? A Glock 43, right? It's single stack, uh, compact. And she carries it in her purse all the time. Unless she knows that she's doing, going somewhere where she feels particularly unsafe, like she needs to have it on her body. So uh, for her, that's the way she wears her pants. They're tight, whatever. Um, women's hips versus men's hips she, she don't like to wear it on her it's just more too cumbersome for her it's not worth it to her right right one day maybe she gets attacked and then she says well i'll wear it chris time to you know other than that i don't think we're going to convince her to wear it all the time like i wear mine right so yeah and that was one of the questions i had is <clears throat> how often you carry yours you know uh that la that actually leads into two questions because I was going to ask where you recommend concealing the weapon. Uh, we were talking about the safety, you know, understanding, you know, handling the gun. There's responsibility behind that. Uh, something we kind of covered the other day. And, and uh, you know, I, I was I was saying that 
you know, I had a buddy who referred to a weapon as, as a pissed off rattlesnake. Like every time you put your hands on it, think of it as a pissed off rattlesnake, like it's game time. You're awake, you're aware. And, um, yeah, I was, I was saying that I don't like, um, concealing it in my, in the front position and the, uh, what do you call it? Appendix carry. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I don't like concealing it there because I got a pissed off rattlesnake next to my junk. <laughs> and you're, yeah. you're saying that you did prefer that. So I was, uh, can you go more into that? Yeah, yeah. So you can see the way mine's set up. I'll try to make sure. I, I lost a screw, so I had to replace a screw. This is my go-to most comfortable holster. And I'm not getting into different holsters. I mean, there's so many different kinds. This is made to carry, and it was a gift from a friend. But I use different kinds, and I got a local guy that I support here. And I, I do a little video on YouTube and talk about kind of uh, actually is a video called, I think I, I put the the, uh, the little clickbait title to be, uh, you're, you're going to shoot your PPL <laughs> yeah. so people would click it, you know? So um, I should have put rattlesnake beside your PP. Maybe that'd be better. <laughs> Everybody would be clicking on that. Yeah. Um, but I talk about using this little clip, just a single clip versus two clips. And it just depends on like me. Uh, there's definitely better clips than this that allow for more of a, a locked in position per se, like something like you would have for some tactical equipment. But for me, the exchange for this being a little bit loose and being able to adjust this way or this way, uh, the exchange of that versus me being comfortable is good i take that you know i buy into that so i, I got rid of the t i don't like the two clips where it doesn't move at all because because i wear appendix carry in the front uh, near my junk like i sit a lot of different ways and i like to turn the gun this way or that way depending on what's more comfortable for me in that position right so i just kind of shift it so um it doesn't really you don't lose too much there because i'm not doing a lot of quick drawing from seated i guess i can practice that but it's not that important to me you know um but yeah, I prefer mine on the front and I didn't do that for all the years that I was in the military. Like, of course, there's not a lot of jobs in the military where you have to carry concealed um, that I know of. Right. And and even for uh, special forces or special operations in any degree, there's only certain aspects of those particular jobs that carry concealed regularly anyway. So a lot of it is just, you know, personal, uh, personal use or personal uh desire to carry if you're carrying it got any experience so i didn't carry much i carried it at the four o'clock or the three or you know small of the back some people carry or mostly just and my thinking was in the military like i had a lot of training with the outside the waistband holster the technical holsters out on the side of my uh, uh my right side at my essential essentially three o'clock around about that area so i would carry any gun there if i had to just because i felt i had all that muscle memory all that programming to go to that area right so i was like well let's let's just capitalize off the skill i already have and stay in the same area well the more i got into the civilian world and the training world that i'm in now uh, i gave it a try i had an open mind i was like well let's try this so i feel safe enough around my rattlesnake that i carry <laughs> you know it is a rattlesnake but i've worked long enough with this rattlesnake that i i know it's uh its characteristics and its behavior you know, talking about your illustration for having a gun. Um, so I I said, well, let's put it on the front. And then as I did more drills and training in the gym, 
with guys like doing fight to the gun scenarios or just doing grappling with weapons involved in the environment. You start to learn, which I already knew, I guess I just didn't apply it in this context. I knew that the front of me, this area here is the easiest area for me to protect based off of human, the human body, the anatomy, the mechanics, the way you're built. Uh, what comes easier for you based off martial arts and fighting stances and everything. You're, you're always protecting this area and it's easy to protect that area, right? We're not made to be good at protecting behind us, right? That's your most vulnerable area. And it's the same if you carry a gun back there, just because you carry a gun outside of this main area here, the sweet meat area, I like to call it. Um, just because you carry a gun outside doesn't mean you're particularly or you're necessarily going to get your gun taken or away from you, but it is a lot harder to keep that from happening when it's back here or even around back here versus in this area, right? If you go to the, my gun here, you can get a grip on it potentially here at my waist, but you have a lot to deal with here. You, I have all my power and skill to bear, to bring to bear here in front of me. So that's why I started playing with that appendix carry and having it there. And then, you know, drawing faster. I feel like I was faster here because my hands are, Essentially, uh, anybody that's been in the tactical world or worked with handguns or or any type of tactical context concerning ARs or, or pistols, you probably heard the term workspace, you know, talking about changing magazines, doing reloads here, right? Keeping your gun here in your workspace. We talk about that with fighting, too. Like you keep your hands home. You don't want to overextend. You want to be able to protect yourself. And then you talk about that when uh, when I do mobility training, driving. Right. We talk about having your hands in a good spot where I can react quickly and not being way out here one handed or whatever. So it's all kind of pertains to the way we're built and the, and the best way we can control things uh, around us is kind of in this little space here, not overextended, staying home, per se, headquarters position here. So the gun's the same right here, tight. Uh, I can protect that gun. I can get to it quicker because of my training within this workspace. And uh, it's harder for somebody else to get to my gun and, and use it against me. Now, concerning safety, and I get it, like you said, Daniel, you're talking about the rattlesnake, right? It is a little more scary. I guess uh, mentally you're thinking like, well, I put the gun in front. You could be pointing at your femoral artery, your, your twigs and berries or whatever the hell. So, but back here, it's, it's really the same. Like there's, we talked about it before. Um, we try to do the best we can to keep this gun safe and to point the muzzle in the direction that you can control it, where it's pointed towards what I intend to point it at or towards something that I don't mind pointing it at. But there's always somewhere that you, it has to point, right? There's never not pointing at something. Uh, right now sitting on the desk pointing at my external wall over here so if even on your back here it could be pointing at somebody's leg it'd be pointing at your butt it could be pointed at your leg i mean so it's all really relatively same i mean yeah i would rather lose a, <laughs> if you ask me i'd rather lose a leg than a than a my genitals <laughs> or my penis right <laughs> right but I'm, I'm of the mindset that it's not going to go off uh, in that direction, unless there's some kind of uh, circumstances that make it unsafe. And we talked about like machine guns, the experience we've had with machine guns. We learned, we learned what a cook off is because the barrels get so hot around in the chamber could cook off, make the round 
shoot essentially, which is dangerous, you know, and you wouldn't have to want the barrel pointed in any direction except into a berm or something of that nature. Um, it's not a real danger of pistols cooking off unless you just like shoot an automatic through that thing and then you holster it, but you're not going to put it on your body in a holster if it's hot as hell anyway. And then the other thing is, um, could the gun just go off uh, internally without the trigger being pressed, which that comes into the reliability of the gun, the factory uh, safeties internally within that gun, that system that you're working, is that likely, likely to happen if there's some kind of impact, right? Like dropping the gun or whatever, are you falling, like jumping into the prone and hitting your butt, your, your gun against the ground while it's loaded in your pants somewhere? If that's a, a danger for you, you're probably carrying the wrong gun. Or um, That being said, a caveat to that is be careful, you know, tricking out your guns and doing internal work on the gun uh, mechanically if you're not very experienced with what you're doing and you haven't got a tried and true way of keeping it safe still. I've seen that happen with people. People make light triggers and on holstering on the outside actually pop around off because their gun's so light or something didn't work the way it's supposed to. Um, and then the next thing is obviously protect that trigger. Anytime I'm holstering, be deliberate uh, about it. Get a good system for doing it. Like on the front of me, I really point my hips away and I look it into the holster and I make sure that any garments that might get into the trigger guard are free and clear. Right. So I'm really paying attention to that a lot. And it comes in. Uh, I think I mentioned it yesterday, like in my classes, I don't like for guys to use soft holsters because once you pull the gun out and draw the gun, then the holster collapses underneath the pressure of the belt or whatever. And now in order for them to put that gun back into that holster, they have to like dig around with the, with the barrel or they got to stick their hands in front of it and open it, which is all just too many variables coming into play that might make you unsafe. Right. So that's why a lot of guys like myself uh, insist that people have a hard holster of some sort, one that stays open and remains open. If you're going to carry it tight to your body like that. So you don't, you're not uh, taking on that risk of pointing that gun around, trying to find something to stick it in and then potentially touching the trigger or pointing at yourself. Right. So, right. so obviously adhere to safety, you know, good, good, safely, mechanically safe gun, reliable gun, trigger, uh, discipline, trigger, uh, finger discipline and muzzle discipline and pay attention when you're holstering. Is the way I get a, I give myself confidence to wear in front of me, right? And then as I'm sitting and stuff, like depending on where where you hang, you know, as a man, like you can adjust accordingly. Which goes back to what I was saying about the single claw. I might tilt the gun this way. I might tilt it this way, mostly for comfort, but also thinking my head sometimes. Like I don't I don't want my my valuables um, getting pointed at too much even though i'm pretty sure i'm pretty positive nothing's going to happen right while my gun's holstered and being safe without me right. doing something to it to make it go off does that make sense yes it does and uh that kind of leads into into my next question i was telling you a story you know uh with with a uh, concealed carry situation i had and i was uh I was out in a sketchy part of um, of town, not not where I live currently, but uh, San Antonio, and uh, and I had a, a guy who was under some sort of drug influence. I think probably probably crack or something. He was real hyped up. He wasn't he wasn't thinking on the same bandwidth as me. Uh, I had a concealed carry weapon on me, and uh, and I was close to my car. Uh, my 
my wife was at the time was fiance was in the car and uh i was outside of my car and uh, and uh he came up and he was asking for money i told him i didn't have any uh any cash on me and he started losing his mind like he just uh didn't didn't really make sense like i said he wasn't this wasn't a socially normal person so uh i didn't know if he was trying to gonna come back and attack me he kept like kind of doing these uh these loops where he'd come back and get real aggressive and it and it was uh i was getting you know, I won't lie in the, in the situation at the time I was getting angry. So, you know, but I was sitting there with a, with this major dilemma, uh, you know, at the time, initially I was thinking I have two options. I was like, okay, I can either try to fight this guy with this concealed carry here. And then, uh, you know, I'm running a risk of, you know, uh, something happening with this weapon or, you know, I need to warn this guy, have a weapon or draw down or something. Uh, but if you do that, that is, um, that is a assault with a deadly weapon. If you draw a weapon on somebody, so you guys uh, should know that, um, I, you know, it varies by state, but then I realized there's a third option, which was, uh, luckily the option I took, I was like, you know, my car's right here. I just got in the car and left and it was, it was always that easy, but you know, uh, you were talking about posturing and things like right. that was, uh, that was the right move. Like, why, why would I sit there and jeopardize my fiance safety, my safety, uh, when I got this guy here, but, you know, I was going to ask you, you know, between that and, uh, and let's say, let's say this situation was unavoidable, you know, uh, do I need to have that, that, uh, concealed carry in such a way that I can fight without having a resort to drawing it? Well, and that plays a couple things, right? And we talked about what, where I carried it, where I carry it. So in general, let's talk self-defense, in in general right quick so that's a scary situation because you don't know what people are going to do and then of course the the human in us says especially you know i can only speak for men but the man in me says hey you know you're not going to treat me like a punk and get away with it so then the big dick energy comes out dick measuring pissing contest whatever you want to call it the posturing that comes along with social conflict like that that that's bound to happen and if we don't train to to think sensibly in that moment, then we will make the bad decisions. I mean, it's, it's human nature. We, we get emotional, right? So you got to train that out of you. Um, so good job on you going through the process, giving yourself time to think. I'm glad you had that time to think and you, you had the heads up that you did because it wasn't worth the risk for you to get involved. There's nothing making you be there. You didn't have to prove anything to that guy. And be, you could be mad and bitch at your, your significant other and tell her how, mad you were and it, you can get that over with and it's you know no harm no foul you're you're alive there's no incident you're not in court you don't have to take a man's life if that's what it came to which is you know even if you're if you're legally right and justified in that situation doesn't mean you're not going to be in court somehow some way so there's still a lot of bullshit that you're gonna have to put up with um not to mention i i don't i don't personally want to kill a lot of people <laughs> you yeah. know, I don't want to have to kill people. Um, never have. So I think uh, you were right there. So as far as where I carry it. So if you did in that moment, it'd be hard to, to uh, justify you pulling a gun on him because there'd be a lot of uh, things to take into account was, did he, did he have intent? Did he, uh, did he have the means, right? What was he doing? The totality of the situation would come under scrutiny 
and they'd investigate, they'd look at videos from whatever around the parking lot that you're in and like, well, it looks like, you know, did he say he was going to kill you or did he approach you? Could you not walk around the car? And, and then in some states, there's different laws to stand your ground and whatnot. But that doesn't matter if you just that doesn't mean that you can just stand here and then you don't you shouldn't do the sensible thing of relocating yourself, creating distance. Right. So. Let's go back to what you could do or what is encompassed in self-defense in general. Like, so I got to have an escalation, basically force options, just like police officers have, just like soldiers have. We have uh, use of force options. Like, what do I need in this particular situation? Um, in the real world, civilian world like we live in, like things aren't black and white. It's not like you're on a mission. You're going into this house. You see this, this or this. Um, that's bad guys. The rules of engagement says we do this. And, and it's pretty common to see those guys that meet that rules of engagement because that's the context of what, what you're fighting in. You know I mean? It's kind of black and white. These are bad guys over here. Let's go to them. It's not just walk around randomly and see if there's bad guys or not. Usually um, it's usually a little easier to, to determine than that civilian world. We don't know what's going to happen. And we have, like I said, that, that posturing, that social, uh, conflict issue where people want to posture and bluff and show people that I'm not scared. So that happens all the time. And it doesn't mean that I'm necessarily going to do something to you, even though that might be your experience, but uh, logical people looking from the outside in, are they going to determine that your life was in danger? So it can't be so subjective. It needs to be very objective. Did he, did he have the means and intent and what were they doing at that time to show that they were intending on killing you? That made you feel threatened for your life, not just, hey, you're a punk and I'm and I'm standing near you. Subjectively, that might scare some people for their life because of their lack of experience in that type of situation. But a jury or people that a judge doesn't decide, look at things subjectively. They, right. they look at it objectively or try to at least. Right. So. I have to have force options. So in that situation, if the guy kept coming at you and sit and maybe pushing you like a drunk guy, they'll look at, well, is that guy bigger than Daniel? Um, is there a reason logically that Daniel would think that his life was in danger? Then they're going to look Daniel. Well, Daniel's got experience being a soldier. And despite what that really means, people are going to assume that, oh, well, he must be the baddest. You know, he knows all the fucking martial arts and knows how to shoot every gun system because he was a soldier, obviously. So they're not going to give you the benefit of the doubt. If you say I was scared in that moment, they're going to be like, why would you be scared? Like you, you experienced this stuff. You're king of the hill, obviously. So it doesn't look good for you. Like you shouldn't be scared. You should have other options. Right. Um, that's the way it's going to go down most likely. So that situation, I have to use my other force options, which is making space, maybe de-escalating with my tone of voice, which involves a lot of the, the really harder stuff, which is controlling your own emotions so that you can think sensibly and not just get into this pissing contest with somebody because of your, your anger or your, your, your shock and all because of like, who the fuck does this guy think he is talking to me like this? You know? Right. Um, that'll get you in trouble. So the problem with people that carry guns and we've seen it, you know, there's been people, there's been stories, which looks bad for the, the pro gun community is people that are licensed carry holders, like chasing shoplifters out of out of stores and then shooting at them as they're fly, they're fleeing away. 
it's like it's like they think in their head like i've got this gun so anything goes down this gun is the tool to use this is my hammer and everything looks like a nail because i have this hammer on me so that's crazy like you if you're a person that's pro-gun that's great if you think people should be able to protect themselves with legal lethal force which i agree with because bad guys have access to lethal tools so i need to be able to equal that amount of force in my opinion unless you can make all guns magically disappear and then i'll just have a sword or something right but right now everybody can have a gun pretty much so i need to have a gun but there's a lot of things that you need to be good at before you just go to the gun you have to understand fighting in general. You have to understand the physiological effects of fear and fighting, that how they how they affect you and how you respond to that in those situations. And then all the physical stuff, because on the range, we can draw free and clear, present our gun and shoot because there's no opposition. There's nobody trying to keep you from doing that. There's nobody making you move your feet necessarily, chasing you. Or trying to get a hold of you and you're trying to make space while you're drawing a gun or 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 to turn or uh handle that address that situation with them grabbing you before you can get to your gun right so there's all these things that are that are involved in self-defense or what could be uh, a common self-defense situation between two people that people don't account for when they talk about this gun they think this is just you get this and then everything takes care of itself after that like there's so much more to it right yeah um you get a hold of me and I've got a gun on me and it's not secure enough and I don't know what I'm doing. And I'll try to go for my gun because I don't, I'm just letting you sling me around because all I can think about is getting to that gun. And in the meantime, you get in a dominant position on me. And then also in that, in that, during that time frame, I lost my gun. It flew out of my holster. Now somebody else has access to it. Right. Um, there's all kinds of bad stuff that could happen from that. Somebody takes my gun. Somebody, their buddy uses the gun on me. Um, they get a hold of your gun, right? Um, think about here's a good one I like to I like to talk about that makes people think through this. Like, what if me and you, I come up to you, Daniel, just like that guy in that parking lot, and I say, Let me get some money, please. And you say, No, I don't have any. And maybe you're the fifteenth person I've asked and everybody's turned me down. So I'm not in my right mind and I get all pissy at you which is common, right? Hey, fuck you then, you piece of shit. And now I'm fucking working myself up like that guy is, you know, strutting back and forth, getting to that point. And then maybe I'm never going to do anything. That's just me doing whatever. And I never had an intent to do it. Or maybe I just wanted to fucking maybe come at you and act like I was going to do something. You don't know that. But if you don't have other tools and as soon as you go for your gun, even though that I was just posturing and doing some bullshit, now I become scared for my life. Even the bad guy can become scared for their life because they're human. It doesn't matter who's right or wrong at that point. Now you're fighting for your life. So I see Daniel lifting his shirt, looking for his gun, and I see that gun, and everything in me just turns into fucking fight or flight, and I fucking go forward. And now you're in the fight because maybe you didn't want to escalate. Maybe Daniel didn't want to do anything with his gun, but he wanted this guy to back down. But that guy took it as I'm about to die. And now you're fighting for that gun between two people. That's a life and or death situation. Yeah, that's right. And even in his mind, he's like, if I let if I let this guy get a hold of his gun that he has, he's going to kill me. And maybe you're thinking you're not thinking that, but he don't know that. Right. You're fighting over that fucking gun. And that's 
And that's a, a sticky situation. There's a lot of things that could go wrong in that situation. And even though if everything went right for you, as far as you win that exchange, you get the better of him, there's still going to be problems after that. You're still hurt. You still got your significant other there that you risked getting them hurt because you don't know what was going to happen in this exchange. Um, if he was going to get your gun or what, or maybe you shoot this guy and now you're still going to court, you're doing the police report. And I, hopefully you fucking didn't have a drink of alcohol before you did that. And hopefully you don't have any fucking chemicals in your system. Right. Maybe you take medicine or something. Who the fuck knows any of those things that they can fucking exploit in the court of law and look into see if there's some way that they can stick it to you. I mean, you got to assume that that's what they're going to do. So all that being said, know how to be aware, understand the ins and outs of uh, violent opposition in several different contexts, whether that be competition or freaking self-defense strictly or whatever, you're going to have to do some sort of competition type stuff in order to simulate self-defense situations and, and work those skills. Um, you need to understand all that before you just go get a gun. Like, how do I fight and keep my gun? If you got a gun and you don't know how to fight, then your gun is as good as my gun. If I right. want your gun, like that's my gun. And I heard somebody say, and I use this a lot, like um, a, a gun brought into a situation. Doesn't matter who has it at first. There's a gun involved in a fight. Yeah. Doesn't matter who has it, which is dangerous inherently. So how do you keep that? All the things leading up before you even touch a fucking gun is what you need to worry about, in my opinion. Yeah. The posturing, I like that, you know, and I think that's important to cover because <clears throat> there's a lot of people who follow me who are, you know, looking to get in the military. They're at that. Uh, everybody has has that that time period in their life. You know, some people never grow out of it, sadly, but most people do where they're just uh, I don't know. They uh, they uh, they want to show everybody they're the baddest and and uh, and nobody's going to say this to me. I'll just shoot somebody. Oh, you know, you hear all that dumb stuff. Um Really, the real world doesn't work like that. And and uh, and if you guys want to want to be effective in the in the real world, you gotta uh, break out of that. You can't just teach everybody a lesson. This isn't the playground. You know, this is uh, the real world. You don't know what's gonna happen. Especially uh, in that situation, the one I was in, the guys on substances. Of course, uh, thank thank God I chose the right uh, avenue because um, at that time I was uh you know I was uh, that was like five years ago. So my mindset wasn't as mature then. And, uh, and that really threw me off. So, uh, luckily I chose the right decision and I kind of learned later that, uh, that, you know, uh, I, I was telling you, I read, I read books and stuff. I'm, I'm religious. So I was reading a religious book and it, and I said one, something that I like, it says, uh, you sure show mercy on others to show love for your significant others. So that means if I'm in the car with her and somebody's acting like a complete idiot and road rage, um, you know, I can, I can, I can, uh, ignore the situation altogether. I don't have to pay it any mind, show mercy onto this guy acting like an idiot for whatever reason, who knows, he may just be having a bad day. Maybe he wants to, you know, scream at everybody. And, and it's not really anything you should take personal. It's just that guy is just not happy with his life right now. So, you know, just kind of putting that filter on and posturing po positive posture and, and, uh, I'm rambling, but hopefully I'm making yeah. sense here. No, you're good. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up road rage because we were talking about that, too. You know, if I had to advise anybody, I mean, if, if, if I could magically rub my hands together and shoot some 
fucking magical skills at somebody, it would be the the maturity and experience to control their emotions in a in a, uh, a high conflict environment, right? Because that comes before anything. Like I don't give a fuck if you got all the tools. How are you going to use them? It doesn't matter what you have. It's it's how you implement them and in the context of, of doing it at the right moment when it needs to happen and not taking unnecessary risk, especially when it involves the risk of others around you, not just yourself. Like if you risk yourself, that's on you. You're a man, you can decide what you want to do. But then when you put others at risk and then in, inherently in a civilian world, you're with a gun, especially a ballistic tool that the bullet leaves and goes outside of the barrel somewhere until it stops. And who knows where it stops? Hopefully you're doing everything right and it goes where it's supposed to go, but you're putting everybody at risk not just you at that moment. Yeah. So if, it, if, if you could, if you could hone anything, you should hone emotional control uh, now. And that goes into, well, how do you do that? Z? Well, you, you live life and you test yourself in ways like road rage is a good example of something that's probably the most common thing that people get mad about besides like domestic things domestic violence type things like it's road rage people and you you've probably experienced it i know i've experienced it going on the road and somebody shoot me a bird and i'm like who the fuck you know yeah. especially if you feel like you were right and they were wrong you're like well you treat me like i'm wrong you're fucking wrong and, and you know i've had the fucking mindset of before to like i'll follow y'all and fucking well, let's talk about it then let's you know and then i'm like what what in the hell is that gonna do for anything like what is the bigger picture here right? Kids in the car. I've got a lot to lose. Um, do I need to show them that I was right? You know, we'll fight over being right or wrong to the death, won't we? Yeah. Um, more than any other thing. So I think emotional control, just an emotional maturity, like you showed. And even if it takes time, like even at my age and my experience level now, like I train armed guards and my company has armed guards and, and I, and I work in that field occasionally to stay up on things. And, it, and that's the biggest thing we hit is like, hey, don't take anything personally. A drunk guy talking shit to me, that doesn't mean I need to show him who's the boss. I don't take it personally. The bigger picture is, hey, be the professional. Don't be a liability. Be an asset. Um, represent the organization that, you, uh, that you're with well, right? Uh, don't cause a bigger issue than than what needs to be like, you know, if I come to your house and you tell me to take care of your wedding, that doesn't mean, Hey, I could be Billy badass and be like the toughest guy, you know, but every time you have me pulling security, somebody does something, I'm jumping their ass. And now I'm causing more of a problem than, than the guys that are drunk or disrupting things or touching girls' butts or whatever. Like I'll be caught causing the problem. And you're disrupting the event by the way you handle things. Can we handle it at a lower level and maybe deescalate things? And, and and the outcome be more peaceful, even though maybe I didn't get to feed my ego or, or show them who's boss. You know, that's what we want. And that yeah. takes a lot of maturity, man. That takes a lot of confidence. It takes, takes a lot of understanding, internal um, audit of your own ego mm -hmm. and what drives you. Yeah. And speaking from experience, I know there's different characteristics of people in different upbringings but most men i think we all feel like we have something to prove to some degree at a younger age before we've experienced a lot of things and we'll make impulsive decisions i mean that's why you know kids do stupid shit we they do right at some point in time though we need to 
um, until it becomes subconscious where we it's programmed into us and we do it and you know more uh instinctively or intuitively um you have to formally remind yourself so me i have ditties in my head like hey same thing same ditties i use like get an argument with my wife or something or my kids like all right well i could get mad and i could assert my authority and power and my stature potentially and bully my way into i don't know what to to what end and then you know that's going to affect my relationship there's going to be collateral damage to, to me doing that even though in the moment that's what my feelings are saying that they want to do so i'm always doing those ditties in my head well let's just take time to pause is there a hurry do i need to hurry is there exigent circumstances where i need to make a decision right now and freaking act, react no there's not so i can take time we can wait let me go think about this logically before I sabotage uh, something that I've worked to build, right? Right. And with you, you luckily had the time with that guy in, in the parking lot to, and I'm sure you felt emotional at first. You mentioned it. You said, you know, I felt angry. I was like, you know, what am I doing? You thought about you had a gun on you and all these things that's going through your head. And that was good that you were able to process and say, you know, well, I've got her with me. Um, there's no reason I need to be here with him. Like there's nothing keeping me here. He's not forcing his way into my space right now and making me react to it. He's just there. And you put that all together. And that, I think that's about as fat. That's the best uh, a lot of people could hope for is that fast of a reaction. You know, I don't think it's ever going to come super intuitively like, boom, that happened. Some people, yeah, but they're like unicorns where they just got such emotional control. Maybe they just, maybe that's just how they were brought up somehow. You know, and I've seen people that are pretty cool like that. But yeah. me, I'm not like that. And I think a typical person, man especially, is not like that. We have to kind of formally process and like rigidly talk ourselves through something internally, you know, like, all right, let's not do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, I've because uh, you're going against basically your your human nature, your human nature, yeah. uh, especially especially uh, seeing it more in men than than. Uh, than the other, you know, like we, uh, we got something to prove. I, I think you're absolutely right. I like something that you said the first time we talked, you said, uh, you know, you were talking about whatever you're trying to get people to kind of learn and kind of, kind of break the ego for a second and like take in the information. You're like, you know, you're a tough guy. I'm a tough guy. We're all tough guys. So let's, let's get past that and then learn stuff. And, uh, and that's, that's true. Cause a lot of men, like, uh, even the guys without, without any skills, you know, they're going to feel like they got to assert they're a tough guy, right? They don't want to be broken down by the world and who does, but you know, uh, breaking down the ego is important, especially in a situation like that, where, you know, like my situation, if, if somebody else was in that situation, you got a lot to lose there. Whereas this guy, you know, what are you going to prove? What are you going to prove to this guy? What are you going to prove to, you know, how many people there are, you're going to let this one grazing, uh, brain walking by you're gonna let this one grazing emotion you know uh dictate maybe your whole future that's crazy that's that's crazier than handling the situation oh i'm not gonna let anybody get to me uh you know uh and and also you know i noticed some of these guys going into uh going into these things they think that it's gonna give them all the tools and that nobody's ever gonna mess with them again people are gonna mess with you people are gonna always mess with you no matter 
no matter if you're the scariest looking guy in the world, you're the most intimidating guy in the world. Maybe you have all the skills in the world. There's still going to be people who, who mess with you. And you still got to learn how to properly posture and, and be an emotional control. Cause that's a lot more strength than just losing your mind. Cause I mean, uh, you know, I used to have a real, real bad temper as, as do a lot of young men. Right. And, and, uh, learning how to control that is, uh, takes a lot more strength than just losing your mind every time. Cause that's a, that's emotional weakness, you know? Right. It's good. Especially the guys that follow you that are looking to go in the military, maybe coming out of high school. Um, and you know, people, this is nothing new or profound, but people know that, you know, when you, when you do team sports or individual sports or you're part of something or even school in general, and I was talking to my kids about this recently, what they don't understand, what they fail to understand sometimes. And what I didn't understand probably for a long time was that going through the process, it's not necessarily about the actual sport or the actual subject that you're working hard on. It's about getting through the adver uh, adversity and dealing with people, dealing with those emotions in the moment. Um, say like a football player, you know, somebody does something, pisses you off. Do you, get yourself ejected out of the game, therefore hurting the team, therefore not really getting anything good out of it, except that you just fucking threw a fit. So what good becomes of that if you don't control something? So uh, I'm trying to, as I've learned these things, and I didn't have much of a family growing up. I, got, I had a rough childhood, so I didn't have, I learned a lot of these things late. I was a late bloomer as it comes to common adult type things, I guess, that your parents would, would help you with. Um, but with my kids, I try to explain that to them. I see the value now. I'm like, man, sports is not about winning. Sports is not about this or that. It's about I want my son to, and it sounds cliche, but I want my son to freaking learn to get, deal with losing, learn to deal with something happening that he didn't want, learn to deal with the extreme emotions that come with physical interaction where you actually get hit and it jars you and it and it elicits a real emotional response from you that it's hard to control, you know, like, like a football tackle or freaking somebody bumping and knocking it over in any kind of sport or whatever. Right. So I start to see the value in those things. The more that I do stuff that I've done stuff like this in the military and seen how that was applied in me trying to accomplish whatever task that I was doing in that context, you know, so working on school, controlling your emotions and not letting it get the best of you because your teacher freaking, maybe don't treat you like you think you should be treated. Um, you could act out and get in trouble and just make the problem worse, or you could fucking understand that they don't control you. You control your reaction. That's all you can really control. You can't control anything outside of yourself. Deal learning that and working on the skills that help you do that in any form or fashion is making you better all around. So those guys following you that want to go to the military, like, um, I had a short temper as well, Daniel, going in, and I fucking was a was not good with authority, not good with any of that stuff, right? And was a weak, weaker inside where I thought that I had to assert myself and assert dominance because that was compensating for something that I didn't feel, right? And the guys that are like that, usually you get in trouble a lot more because you're freaking, you're more aggressive, you're, you're whatever, more inclined to do stupid shit, really. Um, those guys need to learn that, need to take that into account and say, hey, remind yourself of what the end goal is. This guy yells at you. This guy embarrasses you. This guy does this. All right, what's your end goal? What are you trying to do? 
is the decision you're about to make, the reaction you're about to have, is that going to be beneficial for your for what you're trying to do? So just ask yourself that question. And, you know, the more you do that deliberately and consciously, hopefully the more you start to retain that and it programs you and you freaking slow down faster at each occurrence where your emotions are elicited to, to a degree where you want to react in, in some kind of negative way, right? So now, like I said, even now at 42 with all the kids that I have and the experience I have practically using this stuff in an everyday context, like I still am only good enough to where it doesn't happen like this, but I do stop. So they talk about this in like uh, counseling and stuff, triggers. It's like, all right, for, uh, for people that are addicts and stuff, they talk about, all right, you got a trigger, you feel this won't, first stop, stop, that's it, stop what you're doing, stop that, take a moment. Let that process catch up, those things that you're trying to program yourself. Sorry, hit the microphone. But uh, so I'm only at that point right now, and I think that's probably the best that most of us can expect if we're learning that, you know, uh, as we go, just stop. Think about it. And then hopefully your brain starts catching up and uh, you don't make the wrong decision in that moment. Right. So these guys, these young guys, man, uh, all of them's going to experience it. They're going to fucking, somebody's going to piss them off. Um, a buddy, a peer, an authority figure. Um, you're going to go to the club and you're going to expect people to make certain decisions or give you certain respect based off of what they know about you or the way you look, which is a normal social thing, right? But it's almost like a, you ever heard that saying you talk about I was a breacher and, and, you know, being in the military, you talk about locks, you're like, that'll keep an honest man out certain locks or whatever. Right. Yeah. So like a little lock box with a crappy little, uh, locking mechanism on it. Like it's locked, but that keeps an honest man out. Like if somebody wants to get in, they're going to take a fucking tool and just break it open or use brute strength. Well, posturing, looking big and people, respecting your background based off of what they assume that you know is kind of like that'll keep a that'll keep a regular person out from from calling your bluff but will that lock really protect do you just because you look that way and people are going to err on the side of not messing with you because of the way you look or how tough you are or whatever they assume about you is that really solidify your ability to protect yourself that's right. only one part of it. That's good. I mean, I'll take it. A deterrent is good, like security-wise. If I put a flashing lights and a cop standing outside, that'll deter a lot of people from breaking into your place. But will it stop them if they're if they're dedicated to doing that? If they say, I, I don't care what lock is on there. I don't care what Daniel looks like. I'm going to do something. Right. Now, what do you have when they say that? Not just yeah. the deterrent factor an actual defense factor, right? So deterrence yeah. only gets you so far. Yeah, that, that's, that, that's... That keeps you safe from the committed person, from the non-committed person. Right. Yeah, some people don't give a shit. Like, like uh, I was listening to Joe Rogan podcast, and he's talking about how, uh, talking about how people mess with, with Chuck Liddell, you know, who is a... That guy's visibly scary. Um, people, people are... Um, people are retarded. <laughs> They're yeah. just, some people just don't care. And, uh, 
and uh, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah, they don't care what that other person can necessarily do to them. Maybe they're living in their own bubble. You know, uh, not everybody thinks the same way that you do. Some people have entirely different realities. Their reality is way different. You can't reason with that person. Um, posturing is, uh, yeah, I think that's the best. Uh, I really like that you covered that, the posturing, because uh, some people it's just, uh, that's what it's about, just unnecessary. Most of those confrontations out there are super unnecessary. And, um, and a lot of them can be avoided. You know, I'm, I can speak for myself. <clears throat> I can't like, like I can, uh, I, I have some accomplishments, right. But I'm not a intimidating looking person. So, you know, uh, the, if, if, if I go downtown to somewhere stupid, you know, somewhere where I know that people are on edge or something, you know, good chance somebody's going to say something stupid or, or try to mess with me. Say I go to like a, you know, a certain bar that's sketchy in town, you know, good chance somebody's going to say something stupid that night. So <clears throat> yeah, posturing is important and knowing that, you know, you can't just tell everybody, like if I try to tell everybody, you know, I could wear a, a Ranger shirt. I could, if somebody tries to get into confrontation, I could be like, try to give them my whole uh, background, tell them my whole resume. Uh, and so, Yeah. <laughs> Uh-oh. Ah, it's <laughs> so frustrating. All right, we're back. Internet is um uh, is being sketchy again. So uh it's a it's a town wide thing. I've never ran into this before, but apparently it's been a multi day thing. Those guys yeah, I mean you had the crazy weather down in Texas, right? Yeah, I guess it makes sense. The big freeze and uh gross. Anyway, uh I think I, I we're back on, so we'll go ahead and resume here. Uh so I was saying you can't just pop out your ERB resume, whatever, and be like, Hey, you can't mess with me. Cause I'm a Marine. I'm an army ranger. I'm a special, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, you know, uh, it doesn't, the real world doesn't work like that. All right. Don't mean shit. It's, uh, somebody told me an old platoon somewhere that used to be an RRD. Uh, back when we were allowed to do this, he were, I was an infantry still and he, he never wore his badges. He wore like a, you know, a stereotype uniform besides what you had to wear in garrison. And we asked him, like, you know, Sergeant Carnahan was his name, Stephen <laughs> Carnahan. I was like, Sergeant Carnahan, you know, why don't you wear your, all your shit? And he's like, because it don't matter what you did. It matters what you do. And that stuck with me. Yeah. And, uh. It gets you so far. I mean, it'll get you indoors. And I was writing a post about it today on Instagram. I hadn't posted it yet. I've been in the process for like a couple hours. Because <laughs> I get a thought in my head and I start doing things. And I'm like, uh, I'm, I was writing it while I was waiting on you. Is you know, I as I grow as an adult, as I've grown as a, an adult, I have developed a disdain for se sensationalism and hyperbole as it pertains to, to people. Um concerning their perceived abilities or skills, you know, like I'm, it's a social media age. So that's natural. Like people are going to post things that, you know, highlight the good in them versus the bad. And, you know, that's good for business. That's good for whatever. You never want to tell people the negative shit, but I think it's our responsibility as individuals to fucking never take that, take anything at face value. I mean, you should know how the world works. You're a human. I'm a human. We're not inherently good. You start lying as a kid before anybody teaches you to lie. I mean, we're, we're taught to be fucking selfish and survive. And, and just because you tell me good things and you're supposedly did this and that, 
I don't take it at face value. I mean, I give you the benefit of the doubt and say, all right, well, that means that you're fucking, you must have some, uh, some skill at accomplishing something to get to this part, but that doesn't make you inherently a good person and looking out for my best interest. Right. You know, like you never, it's not, I don't think that's a cynical way to look. That's more of a realistic way to look like don't you're human. If, if, if me and you are best friends and you get drunk and, and then freaking, and I know that you be a person that, that, uh, has a chip on their shoulder, then I can expect that you're probably going to fucking try to fight somebody or say something smart ass or whatever. So on the flip side of that, does it, does it mean that I don't trust anybody and I don't let anybody in? That means that I give them a lot more grace and mercy because I know, I believe that to be true. I know how I am. So right. I, I know I'm a stupid ass and I have been a stupid ass and I have fucking reacted emotionally and done stupid shit. So I, therefore, I, I can empathize a lot more with somebody being a stupid ass. Right. That help that helps me. Um, so, I mean, without getting too philosophical, that brings us back. Like the more that you know, that you know, the more humility you have based off of the experiences you had and, and accepting that you're fucked up and you've done stump, stupid shit and you've able to get past it and accept that for what it is and be honest with yourself, the more you'll be able to handle external situations with other people. Makes you better at security, makes you better at those bars. I still get mad like anybody else, but I do have a unique, um, I feel like it's a unique way of keeping calm and not looking for a fight as much as I used to, I've learned a lot better. And that's all really because of my humility that I've developed based off of me getting second chances and learning from mistakes. Luckily I'm still here and I still have my wife and children and still have relatively most of my friendships because I didn't do anything too catastrophic, but I've been a stupid ass. Yeah. So that helps me give grace and mercy to others. You know, that helps me a lot. Me helping, and I guess it goes back to the old cliche things like, hey, you can't help anybody until you fucking worked yourself out. So that's more true than anything I, I, I know. That's perfect. You know what I noticed in a lot of people is, uh, you know, people who are in that state where they're, they got a lot to fix about themselves. They're always worried about fixing society and the world. It's, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's really refreshing whenever people have that ability to look at themselves and have that introspection and say, okay, I have these issues. This is me um, kind of breaking down to they're human. They're, they make mistakes. You know, um, I see, I see some people out there that, uh, that struggle to do, to do that, you know, and a lot of them are focused on fixing all of uh, the world's and society's problems. And, and that's always been real interesting to me. I don't, I don't know why that is the psychology behind that, why they look out to fix everything else. But, uh, but yeah, you know, it would be good for a lot of people, a lot more people to kind of see themselves. Well, yeah, and you're right. And to your point, like, I think everybody just wants to, we're human. So one thing I've accepted about being human is that we look for the path of least resistance. Like, yeah just like that lion that 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 when he's got to eat he chases down the the injured or or young the ones falling back he doesn't go and try like hey i'm big dick lion i want to fight your baddest guy he's like no i'm gonna wait and find the opportunity 
it's built into us. It's in, instinctive that we want the path least resistance. And you know what's easier than fucking looking inside of me and feeling that and accepting responsibility and, and feeling the disappointment and shame and guilt that goes along with being fucked up? Well, that what's easier is finding something outside of yourself that's more black and white and quantifiable that you can kind of connect the dots and be like that equals success you know <laughs> like right look at this i've done this so obviously i'm successful that's that's how it goes or hey i've i'm helping everybody else look at me i'm so nice and that and people you know people get a lot of shit they call virtue signaling today and all that stuff and you know i get it but a lot of time that comes out of it's ignorance it's not it's not like that person is intentionally saying like let me find out how to make people think that I'm one thing that I'm not and make them think more better about me. It's just, it's, it's, it's human nature, really honestly. And I can't hate you for it. I mean, yeah, I get bothered by it. I get bothered by shit a lot, but I know that's just humans. Like I'll fucking take the path of least resistance. I have to fight against it. We have to fight against it. We have to try to swim upstream, right? That's as far as your Christian faith. That That's as far as um, just doing everyday things. Like I could take this break and do this, or that's as far as, like my kids, I could say, hey, kids, fucking, uh, I, I got teenagers, so I, I don't want to always get in a battle with them. But if I just say, turn a blind eye to everything and be like, well, everything's fine because, you know, nobody's dying. My kids aren't on drugs, so everything must be fine. Let me just do my thing because that's easy. You could do that for a while, but that's not going to yield the results that you want right. right in the long run. So I think we all just want to take the path of least resistance and what's quantifiable is the easy way to do it. Yeah. What this obviously says that I'm successful. Yeah. <laughs> no matter what I feel inside or what's going on here. Right. And that, this is the hard part. In here is the hard part. Yeah. Why do you think people get out, you know, drugs, people addicted, whether you're a crackhead, whether you're a fucking heroin addict, whatever the fuck, they're no different from any other person. We all are fucking seeking to escape what's fucking hard. Yeah. Now, do you, how often do you, audit that and fucking get yourself back on track and that's, that's going to come down to how fucking honest you are with yourself and what kind of insulation you have around your your life yeah. i'm going to tell you the truth what what motivation do you have around you that's telling you hey maybe you should fucking relook at that you know i need it i need the friction you need the fucking friction the obstacle is the fucking way yeah and, all right just like working out, if we wanted to illustrate for your background, like uh, I think a maxim that's oversimplified is, you know, no pain, no gain, which is, you know, we don't want to get into the details of fucking, you know, hurting yourself and doing things wrong. Obviously, you don't want to fucking injure yourself, but there's got to be some pain. There's discomfort involved with fucking making progress, whether you're yeah. talking about physical strength, conditioning, whatever. Like there's nothing that comes easy. It's day in and day out, making the hard choice, making an easy choice every fucking now and then and fucking up and then realizing, okay, well, maybe I need to get back on track because, you know, Daniel, my trainer said, Hey man, you know, that's good that you, you know, you need a break. I understand, but let's be consistent. Let's get back on the horse. Yep. Start lowering the weight maybe and do this or do that or whatever, you know? I mean, that's just a, that's just a parallel of the life in general. Yep. In my opinion, stress is the adaptation, whether it be uh, physically or emotionally, you know, enduring that stress. Uh, yeah, I put a, a post, uh, just side note, 
put out a post about overtraining and then all these guys were in my inbox like am i overtraining am i overtraining and i was like i gotta be careful kind of how i illustrate things because uh, i can tell you about 99 percent of you guys are not overtraining uh you need to train a lot harder but um what i meant was don't do legs every single day that's what i was trying to say like don't do legs 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 because then your body's not gonna have time to recover and things like that but as far as your training uh I can almost guarantee most of you guys are not stressing your body <clears throat> hard enough. The more stress you put yourself under, the more adaptation you're going to have. But, uh, you know, I would see that with uh, emotional, like pressure makes diamonds. Uh, too much pressure, though, will will crumble somebody, but the right amount of pressure will make diamonds. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we're, we're human. Again, our tendency is to overthink things and fucking drill down and like, Daniel, I want the exact fucking answer. How much work do i need to do i need yeah. to know exactly scientifically and you know some performance institutes that do with fucking top level athletes i mean they get into all that stuff right like let's check his fucking blood let's check his all his fluids and you know do labs and figure out you know monitor him throughout to see what's best for this particular human uh so but we don't need to do that necessarily i think just understand the overall arching principle is Keep working. Know that you're going to fuck up and know that you're going to do some things wrong. Right. Are you going to handle something the wrong way? Or I might overtrain sometime or I might err on the side of not training enough, you know, whatever my characteristic is. But realize that when you do it, you just stress makes diamonds, like you said. So take it in stride and be like, well, now I'm learning. What's the benefit of this? The benefit is this. Everybody's not needs to learn. There's a learning curve for everyone. So this is helping me learn. So thank you. Thank goodness that I'm learning. Thank goodness for that experience. Thank goodness that this fucking happened so that I could practice my patience and practice my uh, internal uh, self-esteem, right? Practice trying to love myself despite me screwing up. That's all just practice, man. Nobody has it figured out. Right. I sound like I'm coming up. I mean... I get the the passion inside of me and the feeling of talking about this stuff makes me motivated, but it's nothing that nobody said. It's just, I didn't understand it when I heard all these things before throughout my life, you know, all the cliche things that are been around for years. That's, there's a reason they've been around for years. Right. Fucking, it's, it's true shit. And you just, we don't believe it until, you know, somewhere between persistence and experience comes together. And then it, it starts kind of making things make sense a little bit. Right. So we're, some people are this here and some people are up here, right? And then it's whatever. Yeah. Um, but I continuously stress, just like you, like, just, just keep working towards it. You know, don't give up on certain things, which is great mindset and, and great uh, ammunition for the guys that are coming to you, getting ready for these, these big challenges like military, like life-changing things. Not necessarily, they're definitely not, things that are unattainable for them, even though they might sell sell themselves short, but it it is bit large things. It does. It is going to take some persistence. It's going to take some, some uh, resolve, right? Some toughness, whatever you want to call it. Uh, And these guys need to be ready for that. They need to be thinking about that mindset while they're training. Hey, this is, I don't feel like working out today. Well, wait till you get 42. You ain't going to feel like working out every fucking day. Yeah. Right. So some of these young guys like, (laughs) Do it, work that discipline, 
you them working that discipline now is helping them prepare for what they're going to have to do in order to be successful the way ahead. Yeah. It's funny how things come full circle. You you start saying the things that you heard people say before and you go, ah, whatever. And then you find yourself saying the same thing. Like I seen that wrote, written on a calendar. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, I thought it was stupid. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I think that just comes with experiences. Like everybody's got to make their mistakes. That's why I think it's so, uh, <clears throat> I don't know. It's so crazy that we look at like, <clears throat> you got politicians, you go looking way back into their childhood and stuff and talking about, well, you did this one time when you were like 20 and it's like, well, God, I've done some dumb shit at 22. <laughs> like I, I would not want to surface, you know, I can't think of very many people who don't have stories like that. Like it's kind of crazy. We dig all that up and, ask questions of somebody who's like, uh, you know, in their 60s, 70s, like, why did you do this when you were 20? You know, it's, uh, it's uh, well, it shows you what the majority of the masses, they think. Yeah. So if you've got one little piece of dirt on here, I'm judging you for all that. Yeah. Like, who, do, I mean, who do they think is the people running this world? Like who, who is not, who is without sin or who is without mistakes? Yeah. And you could say there's levels to it, but really, I don't even think there's levels to it. I mean, just different lifestyles, different things you're exposed to. Like, if you, it's such a big, big business now to, to keep to spin things and and uh, slander, pretty much slandering people at the political level anyway. Like, if you want to fucking go against them, even in social media, you, people slander each other all the time. There's always drama back and forth. People worry about putting other people down to because they think that makes them look better somehow. Like yeah. if I can't, if I can't be good myself and just take responsibility for what I do and accept that this is where I'm at, then I need to make you look bad. Um, like a dog eat dog world, which is big in the military from where I was from. Right. It's like guys, there was so much uh, pressure, I guess, to be good because there's a lot of good people, you know, a lot of strong guys, a lot of smart guys, a lot of whatever, you know, got experience, got badges in schools and whatever. So it's like, everybody uh peer wise felt the pressure of like i got to keep up with these guys you know they're looking at that and they're comparing themselves much like people do on social media and everything we're all like looking at them and like man i gotta i have to limit mine just because i understand my i don't want to fight that fight all the time so i'm like mm -hmm. i need to limit travis haley uh, a big time guy in the gun industry and stuff like that he's very well spoken well experienced and talk and trains really good i was watching him the other day and i'm like man i need to get my shit together like, I sound like a fucking caveman talking about shit. You know, so I was like, I'm going to look at him sometimes and learn some things, but I need to fucking limit my exposure to him because then I'm going to feel bad about myself. <laughs> but I, like, I think I, everybody I feel does that. I, everybody does that. Though. I'll, I'll go back and watch these podcasts and I'll be like, shut up, retard. Like, I'll, every time I talk, <laughs> yeah, like, I can whoop my own ass mentally without uh, anybody else's help. So, yeah, I think people do that about themselves i think you sound great i like i like your videos uh he's got a he's got a youtube by the way i, I need to link the I, youtube i've been watching it. somebody said something to me the other day about it and said hey you should check this out and i went and checked it out and i was like oh that's pretty good yeah <laughs> i try to limit it because i as far as doing this stuff like i get down and out like i know i want to do this stuff and i want to help people in my particular way and the way i do things but then i see other things i'm like man i don't even need to say i just if people ask me things i'll just send them to that video <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I got to find my motivation sometimes, like restate things that have already been out there. I'm like, I don't need this. 
I don't need to make a video. I mean, if we're in the moment like this, like live or teaching somebody, I get motivated for that. Like teaching where there's an actual audience, a back and forth. You can see, I feel the feelings and the emotions and the, the passion that comes along with what I'm saying. But when I film it and do stuff, it's like I lost all that thing that makes me like doing what I'm doing. You know what I'm saying? It's like they can go anywhere. I'll send you a, there's a, there's a fucking a internet full of shit that you could look up. If you want to know about that shit, I don't need to fucking tell you. Right. You know? So yeah, we got a battle with that shit, man. Yeah. Uh, Are we going to get back on subject? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See, good, uh, good, uh, good, uh, good venture though. I, uh, I like talking about that stuff. Um, let's see. So good segue. Uh, not really. It's what's the best home defense weapon? <laughs> well, uh, Carl from Tactical Rifleman did a video on it. So you just go watch that video. You'll figure that out. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, home defense. So, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a wide open question. Um, Whatever you have and whatever you're confident with is definitely good. Uh, if we're talking, you know, making the assumption that you're trained with the weapons you have and say, we'll, we'll, we'll narrow it down to pistol and rifle or shotgun. Because shotgun gets a lot of a lot of love concerning home defense weapons. I think a lot of people are, are down with that. But I'll tell you what I do. Like home defense, what do I keep near my bed all the time is my pistol and my shotgun, my rifle. My carbine is the AR-15 or whatever. I don't make a point to like put it in a certain place every night or anything. Like it stays in the case and I just put it somewhere, wherever I'm. Usually I keep my stuff in a certain area so my wife don't get mad at me. And I keep it all in one spot so I'm somewhat organized. So my pistol's right there. But I would say if I had a big house and a castle and I knew that I was going hunting, I would like to have my AR. Right. Because I got a lot of rounds. Um, you know, I, I'm trained enough with it that I know that I can use it in tight spaces in the CQB atmosphere that I live in here. Um, uh, the biggest thing, though, is just uh, the amount of ammo that you have with it and the amount of power that you have with it. So I'd like to have that. That being said, my pistol is the most accessible that I have, and it's probably what I would grab right away if somebody broke into my house because it sits there right beside me all the time. I got a flashlight beside the bed. I got my gun beside the bed. And then on a the hat rack, I got my shotgun. Now, what I, the strategy I've had for my wife is this, like she's got a pistol, right? But, and, and as much as she's trained and learned with that pistol, she's still at a relatively low level compared to somebody that would go into a combat situation, right? So I'm not going to make, uh, I'm not trying to embarrass her or talk bad about her, but that, that's the facts. Like she's not ready for those combat situations, which when I say combat, I mean, any kind of violence, violent encounter, home defense situation or not, it's combat, like you're fighting, um, potentially. So what I got that I got in that shotgun, I got birdshot. I got, I carry it like I did my breaching shotgun back in the military, which is, um, I've got uh, the chamber empty and I've got the trigger pressed. So you don't have to mess with the safety because the safety is little. And I don't want to have to deal with that. It's too much, right. too much stuff that she would have to do that she hadn't trained enough on. So all she's got to do is rack the pump shotgun, point it from the hip maybe, and press the trigger. And it's going to spread 
in a bird shot pattern, which depending on how close you are, determine how much it spreads. The choke's not very long on that shotgun, so it's going to spread pretty quickly. And I feel like that's going to have reduce the, the, the risk of shoot throughs going through the wall and hitting somebody else in the house, no matter what wall she's shooting at. Drywall pretty much catch most of that. Um, so that reduced the risk of collateral damage with my kids or neighbors or whatever. Reduced the the uh, amount of skill that she needs to aim at sights and potentially miss with a pistol. Yeah. Because the pistol's unforgiving when it comes to that kind of stuff. And uh, just reduces a lot of the the nuances that you might have to have when working with a lethal uh, a firearm in that situation when you're not the best trained. You know, so that's why I got that. So it's almost, and I like the built-in, the built-in ramp. Uh, I forget what ramp means, but I remember using it in the infantry. It was like, it was like an escalation of force acronym. But anyway, it, it's basically, you know, you start by presence, use of force. Like, I'm, you know, I'm here. Hey, who's, who the fuck is here? What are you doing? I've got a gun. Stay away. They continue to come in. I've got a shotgun. Racket. Maybe that gives them another thing to think about. And maybe that deters them from coming in right and then lastly would be to do something about it if they fucking come in right? right so i wanted to give her all those options and we went through that we went through that plan that strategy and talked about it talked about not standing in front of the door once especially once she let somebody know she has a gun because they might shoot through the door um being in a certain spot shooting from the hip if she has to racking the gun as soon as you shoot that one um so that's the way the shotgun setup is ready to go. You grab it, rack it, and press the trigger, and, it, and it'll go off. So yeah. I think, you know, if I had my druthers, I mean, obviously, if I was set up for success, and I was like, hey, the task is it's nighttime. Somebody's in your house. You have to go find them. What tools would you like? I'm like, all right, I got nods. I got I'm going dark, <laughs> and I'm going to the house. I'm like, can I make sure all my kids are out of the house? But uh. Yeah, so one of those, that's that's my philosophy on it. So, but whatever you got and whatever you're confident with and whatever you have a plan with, that's uh, based off of your certain situation. Like if you have a specific context of things or, you know, uh, uh, you're a big rich house that everybody knows you have a bunch of gold bullion, maybe you need to pay more attention to your, your plan than most people. But as my house sits in the neighborhood that I'm in, I'm pretty much just a, uh, I would be an opportunity selection like anybody. So deter it first. I need to show people, you know, starts with the lights outside the house, the cameras, people in the military town. I've heard people, you know, and we told women like, hey, put your husband's boots on your doorstep outside. Like, you know, when people have got muddy shoes or whatever, they leave them out by the door. So make sure, especially if you're even wives that are single mothers or whatever, leave a male's boots outside the door to kind of be a deterrent. Like somebody comes up and they're like, oh, well, this don't look like a soft target. Let's move to the next house. Right. You know, things like that. So always start with that first. You don't want to wait for the worst case scenario, but yeah, that's my take on it. What do you, what's your go-to in the house? Well, I have a, I have a shotgun. I have a 12 gauge and I also have an AR. Um, so either one of those would be good. <clears throat> I always tell her, I always tell her where everything is. Like if I'm leaving the house, <laughs> she hates it. But I'll be like, uh, I'll tell her where, where it is. I'll be like, same reminders. I'll be like with a pistol, I'll be like pistols, you know, here, remember it's uh, on safe. You got to take the safety off and uh, before you That's use good. it, she, she's always like, 
she's always like, go away. But, you know, I'm hoping, you know, God forbid anything would ever happen, but she would, she would know. I've beat it know. in her head enough times. We got to do a fire drill sometime, like set everything up safely, of course, to be like, go, go, go. You got on the timer. Like, yeah. Like a you fire think, drill. You think I should put on like a ski mask and break the window? And just- <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what kind of mitigating factors you got in there. You might, you might get stabbed in the neck or something. Yeah. I, I better not do that one. Um, <clears throat> God. Uh, Let's see. Uh, that being said, what what drills fundamentals would you recommend for the pistol and the AR? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but you know, let's say somebody who is uh, getting into this stuff, where should they where should their focus be initially? What kind of drills should they focus on? Well, let's let's, let's narrow that down a little bit too. Like uh, what I usually see. So obviously. I think the typical people that buy guns and there's been a huge increase in gun purchasing and all this shit across the U S right. To do with all the, the, the civil unrest or whatever they people perceive going on. Um, so what I see is people go to the, the gun range, the indoor usually. Right. And then they get a gun and they sit it on the, the counter and they load it. Uh, there's no really contextual way that they're practicing anything. Right, because they don't know any better usually. They just get it and they sit it on a bench rest, or they sit with a pistol at the range, and then they they go real slow. They hold it and they press the trigger, and you know, see the perfect sight alignment as you know as they're taught to do or whatever, and try to hit something, and then they just rattle them off and put that thing, put it back on the counter when it's clear. Somebody shows them how to do it. Does they never talk about employing the weapons from wherever they are out of the holster, using it on a sling, maneuvering the the rifle around in certain ways for the environment that you're in. They never talk about anything or they never go past just that initial, the mechanics of the actual weapon and how to make it go boom, no context, which is, I mean, yeah, you got to start there. Obviously you got to know how the tool is. I mean, it's like, it's like driving, like you got to know how to put the keys in the car and turn the fucking ignition and then turn the fucking lights on and what the controls do to the car. But that's that's inherent. Like you obviously we need to know that. But then they kind of finish there and they never go any further. And they're like, yeah, no, I got a gun, I shoot, and you know, I take every I try not to be too judgmental, but most people they're like, Yeah, I got a gun and I do this. And you're like, Okay. Like <laughs> I know I've heard this story a lot. I've been down this road. <laughs> right. I'm sure you got a gun and then you get them and they like got all kinds of bad habits, or they just don't have any habits because they haven't used it enough. So we got to go back into like, what is the reason that you had this gun? And people's like, well, so for defending myself, I'm like, all right, well, what does that look like? Like, let's talk about it. Well, I mean, we can look at statistics or whatever your, your particular part of town or what is your most likely, uh, like we used to do in planning, what's the most uh, probable course of action, the most dangerous course of action, all this shit. Like, what, are, what do you think that looks like? If we're talking general, like, all right, you're in a gas station. Somebody tries to rob you. Somebody tries to break in your house and, or whatever. Like, all right, so what does that look like? Just like you were talking about with the guy in the, in the parking lot, you probably never thought about it too much as far as like, when am I going to take my gun out? And that's what brought up those questions. You're like, what is giving me the green light to do that? And because I have the gun, should I do that now? Because I've trained with the gun. So you got to think, what does it look like? What does it look like the context of the situation where I would actually use this? 
And that requires a lot more investment in time and, and training. Like, um, obviously we have a, we have a head start on things. If you have some police training or some fucking military training, because usually, and that's not the end all be all for sure. Right. But it usually prepares you to some degree for, for some of that context, but you still got to have a plan for whatever might pertain to your situation. Right. So I drills and fundamentals is in a generic nutshell would be getting that gun and just moving it, maneuvering it and, and thinking about the situations and the context in which we would use it. Right. So start off like the safety is number one and then uh, proper implementation is number two, meaning the mechanics and the way the controls work. And then number three is doing those things subconsciously as you use the, the weapon in the context that you would be using it. Now, if I had to break that down more simply than the context in which you would use it, it'd be like, how do you manipulate that gun and what do you do in order to, to have it accessible to you on your body and have it ready to use for whatever life-threatening situation. So that that includes movement, moving your feet, um, moving the, the weapon system around as needed so you're not unsafe with it and so that you have it in a ready position to do certain things with. Um, move, looking at things, seeing things that you need to see without just riding your gun and keeping at a locked out position like this and you can't just walk around like this all the time, you know? Right. That'd be dangerous. Um, uh, certain manipulations that are necessary for for using that particular tool like how do you do that like we talked about the workspace like what's a good habit to have there so all that starts coming into play uh, and i know that's very generic but there's just so many things underneath that um that we as military guys i took a lot of it for granted until i started teaching it a lot more because i just you know how it is with a with an ar-15 we're we definitely got a leg up on civilians i mean there's plenty of civilians that can use a pistol better than me uh, there's not many that are as good with the rifle as it applies to actual the context of fighting because we just have so much experience just carrying that thing. So I've gotten used to the ins and outs of just hanging that thing on me, holding it like this so I can drink coffee and then not pointing it at myself and then sitting it over here and leaning it here, carrying the weight this way or whatever that we do to 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 make it comfortable as we're carrying it and still stay safe, you know, checking the safety. I'm always, I tell them, I, there's like a, there's like a, an internal clock in my head that tells me to go back. If I haven't, if I don't have my hand on the pistol grip and my thumb on the safety, checking it on a AR 15 platform. And I have to take that hand off and do something. I always come back there. It's just like natural, like go back, check, go back, check. It might've rubbed against me. It might go off safe. It's just a common thing. And, you know, in the military, you're always worried about somebody catching you. Oh, your gun's on fire. You're a fucking idiot. Do push-ups <laughs> or fucking whatever. Right. So I know that seems kind of silly, but it really built in some some fundamentals in me that, that have stuck that makes everything else I do with the gun a lot easier because I got these things that are just happening subconsciously now, these these fail-safes, you right. know, systems that are built in. So using general answer generic answer is think about the context in which you got that gun for that firearm pistol war rifle how are you going to use it now everything underneath that if you use it like in that context you're going to have to reload it you're going to have to correct a malfunction potentially you're going to have to move the gun around and take it out of the shooting position as you move from point a to point b um so 
how do you get comfortable with that? How do you do that safely and effectively, right? And still accomplish the whatever task you're trying to do. And there's right. a lot, a lot involved in that. A lot of it starts with just confidence, just holding that gun. Like carry your fucking, get a dry gun, carry that bitch around your house and just wear it all damn day. And you'll figure out some things uh, inherently without even deliberately trying to like carrying a slinging a gun on you, having the pistol and moving around the house. I mean, obviously don't scare your neighbors or your children and don't do anything unsafe. But if I wanted to, like, there's nothing better than the, than, the, than what I was forced to do that I, that I didn't see the value in at the time, probably. Uh, with my gun, my in a in a combat environment with guns and fucking carrying shit on you, like it just kind of forced me to learn some of these things that you couldn't. And there's no class that can just shortcut that, you know, the experience right. of just having it and fucking figuring out the ins and outs based off of having to to have this thing and use it accordingly. I was going to ask your opinion on this. I have a I have a there we go camera. Uh, I have a laser light pistol. And there's a target in here, so I can practice dry firing at home and actually see the groupings. So it's like it shoots a little laser out, and then it'll stick to the target. What's your opinion on using something like, like this? Is that do you think that's effective? Yeah, I mean, all right. From one standpoint, it's always good that you can have that same a similar platform to what you have, and you're working the different. Uh, aspects of the fundamentals like your eyes seeing the target seeing the sights coming back checking your sights working your your trigger finger discipline and all that stuff um you said that when the laser sticks to the target what do you mean yeah so it shoots a it'll it'll literally um it'll shoot out a laser so this is a laser right here mm -hmm. and, and it'll like shoots a laser beam you gotta have your lighting right i won't lie because if your lighting's off then sometimes it'll pick up the laser in, a, in an incorrect spot but if you get your lighting right, it's pretty accurate. Um, so it'll it'll shoot the the target here. I'll pull up the target so you can see. It's pretty and cool. It kind of shows you after the laser goes away, it'll still show you where it hit. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so uh, here I can I can give you a test run. Here I'm like I'm like free marketing for these guys. So uh, let's see. Pay you. <laughs> let's see if uh, you know in these batteries, but. Uh, all right. I so guess is, the, I guess is the laser of the, that comes out of the gun, the training gun, is it visible to you or is it just picks yeah. up on so, that target? So I don't know if you oh, can okay. see it. Yeah, I can see yeah. it a little bit. So it'll it'll literally shoot up. But the target itself, it'll it'll keep that laser shot up there so you can kind of see where it hit. Yeah, I wish it had batteries right now. So basically, it'll count down a timer you can set. So you uh, you shoot. Let's see, am I in camera here? So you shoot a. Uh, set time and you shoot it a couple times it's got five seconds 10 seconds 15 and then you shoot start and then it'll start the countdown mm -hmm. so say if you want like a quicker time it'll be five four three two one and then it'll beep and then you go through your drill and uh and you can set a time for that too so um actually i think it's a five second count and then it, whatever time you set this at is what it counts so it depends on how fast you want to do the drill so you know, say you want to test start out where you want to start shot. from here or from the holster or whatever you want. Yep. I think that's very effective, man. I mean, uh, obviously, it's, you know, there are limitations to any type of training, but it, working the mechanics, I think that's very good. I was going to say I got a CERT pistol, S-I-R-T, and it shoots a laser light out and it's got a good trigger set and everything. And it's valuable to me. And I've definitely used it a lot just for just having a, a training aid that I didn't mind flagging people with for demonstration purposes you know and i still you know it's in my head but 
you know, it's a little easier to be safe, like in a classroom or something like that. I definitely use mine. And the problem I've had with laser is that I have to fight the urge to look at the laser and yours probably ain't as bad because mine's like a straight, like a, like a laser pointer, like you use on PowerPoint. Right. You know, so it's like, you see it on the wall and your eyes are like, what's that? <laughs> what's that? Right. right. So I have to, if I was doing like a little drills with it, like I've done it before, like on targets, just going through like a little, um, a little stage type deal. And she, you know, I'll set up some little fake target, little stickers, go faster targets, whatever. Everybody's getting love today on as far as these uh, tools that you can use. <laughs> yeah, so I got these little, yeah, these little USPSA or IPSC targets and I shoot them. But, and I noticed that the more I get competitive with it, like trying to achieve something, just like those smokeless ranges with the lasers, I start looking at the target more and just staying on it and looking for that laser. So it like it inclines me to point shoot more because I'm looking beyond my gun. And I think with, I can get away with it sometime because I do have a pretty good system where I've developed, where my, I know where my hands are and my guns generally aligned because of the practice that I put in. But I, I want to train my eyes to go back and forth. I want to work that. You know, if there comes a circumstances, there, there's different sight pictures, and we talked about this some, like, you know, blurry target and blurry sights, kind of mixing them together. And then there's a clear front sight post, clear target. If you're looking through, like, a, a red dot sight, like, you can focus on the target, essentially, and just overlay the red dot on that target. So it makes it a lot easier. Um, but when I'm using iron sights, I start trying to look beyond my sights a lot. And I have to force myself to be disciplined. I look back at my sight, see my sight, see my sight, see my sight, or at least see it to the degree, the acceptable sight picture that I want for whatever I'm shooting at. So you just got to be careful of that. Like if you're a new shooter and you're developing skills, like you don't want to program yourself to do one thing and then have to reprogram that because you've only done it with where you were looking at a laser beyond your shot style. Like I see a lot of people talk about like airsoft and, and paintball. Like, I think there's a lot of good that comes from that. Obviously, if you're running around, you're thinking strategy and tactics and you're fucking doing team movement, um, that that can be good, you know, and you're working. But what they lack in that is that it, they, they develop a lot of bad habits with safety, for one, because they don't mind pointing barrels at each other. They don't really pay attention to it. And um, not getting online, like people will be like, you'll be way up there, maybe a meter over left of me, and I'll be behind you and I'll just be shooting and not care if you run into it or not, right? And that's not acceptable when it comes to live rounds. Like, it's, it's too much risk. You have to fucking get online to some degree, have a lot more separation or be online. Uh, and then they also, with paintball especially, they look at their shots. They kind of just hold it by the cheek. You can't really get a cheek to stock weld anyway and use sights. Same thing with airsoft. A lot of times they don't use sights. They use, you can get glow-in-the-dark uh, BBs and have these little, uh, uh, what are they called? It's almost like where the flash hider is or the muzzle brake is like a little light inside there. And it like uh, charges the BBs up as they fly out of the barrel. And you can see like the glow in the dark BBs and follow it. So they're looking at following the actual projectile is the way they right. use the aim. So they kind of walk it in, you know, which... Still, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying that they, they're going to suck at freaking shooting or something like that. It's just, that's not, there's a skill in seeing sights. Your eyes are one of the, the most important things 
when it as it comes as it pertains to shooting effectively discriminating seeing the target seeing hands seeing small things then coming back to sights going back and forth focal point close focal point far focal point close opening up seeing what's around me like all that stuff is is very is critical skills involved in, in real fighting and uh so it can develop bad habits with some training devices and some training systems you get what I'm saying? And I'm not saying, you know, yeah. I'm not put I know I know some military guys like put down that type stuff. I don't I'm not putting it down. I'm just saying, you know, what I think is facts. Sure. Um, can can give you some bad habits. Right. I still would play it. I mean, I play airsoft. I've taught a class in airsoft and I've seen that the limitations of using that platform versus real platform because you can get away with some things. I've had people shoot me in the shoulder. I had a military guy that I was playing with, and like I'm coming up around a corner. And I'm trying to lock the corner down because it's like an urban environment and I lock it down and I own it. And then I get hit on my shoulder a couple of times. And I thought it was like uh, somebody, you know, the, the opposition's DB's bouncing off of a wall or something because that happens too. But then the guy's like, he's like, Hey man, you popped out right when I was shooting. I was like, yeah, I'm up front. Like you get online with me. You know, like <laughs> I don't, I don't look behind me when I'm trying to shoot people. You know what I mean? I'm shooting. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like as a, was he, was he from uh 10th mountain? No, no. Did you see, no. did you see all that? Yeah. The flagging. <laughs> and I'm surprised at how many people jumped on that bandwagon on the internet, man. It started fucking like, it got like a, I uh, feel breakdowns. like people's on there, like breaking it down and shit. Yeah. I feel real bad for the, for the privates who are, who are in that situation. Cause, uh, uh, they're probably doing all that thinking that, you know, their higher leadership's telling them that's what's up. And then they're, they're feeling all good about it. He put the, he right. put the rap music on. He was feeling good with the, with the end product, put the effects on and then for it to get blown up like that. Like I see that Sergeant major came oof. out, like made a video. Yes, he did. You see that? Yeah. That sucks for them. Cause you know, those motherfuckers are like, all right, look, you guys are banned for life to have phones around the training area. <laughs> yeah. Right. And then, you know what the truth is? Like if, Back in my younger days in the infantry, if we had a phone, bro, we would have been, I'd have been in trouble. Yeah. I'd have been in trouble for sure. I was done. I remember looking back after I got the SF from the infantry and I was just E6 when I left the infantry. I was a squad leader and I'd been on three deployments at that point. So, I mean, I had a lot of experience teaching guys and being responsible for these younger guys. And there was still some shit. I was like, man, I was stupid. Like, I was just ignorant because I didn't know anybody. Like, this is the way that I was taught. This is the way that I'm teaching. And I was just missing some things that just, that we thought we knew, but we really wasn't at the level that we were actually using those type, like CQB in general. Like you think, you know, CQB because you did some training, but who the fuck was teaching you and what context was you using it? Right. Like you were your bare bones level and you really didn't know, you didn't do it enough in the real situations where you knew what was beneficial and what wasn't. And that looked like for them, even though I will caveat that with, they should know that ain't nobody fucking keeping their barrels pointed at each other, whether it's CQB or anything. There's no, there's no tactic where I fucking, where we say, Hey, point your gun at me. Right. You know what I mean? Like just, just hold it like this. Don't move it. <laughs> like motherfucker, break your gun down or up. Pulling security on each other. Dude. <laughs> just, uh, yeah. Mm. That's awful, man. I hope those guys don't get in too much trouble. And I hope it don't fucking their, their career. Yeah. Yeah. I know they were just trying you know I mean? They're doing I bet anybody like the Sergeant Major, you and I bet he couldn't have done it too much better teaching them that itself. But it's just they look bad now, you know. Yeah. Perception's reality. Yep. 
I'm sure it's getting handled. Uh, I feel I'm glad I'm not dead. I hope nobody gets too bad trouble, man. Yeah. Uh, how how often do you drill? Whenever you do your training and and stuff like that, do do you do stuff at home or is it? Do you have time? Like, do you go to the range every time? Like, what would you recommend? Well, at least uh, minimum once a month, I try to get to the range and do some things. But usually, my classes take care of that. I, I get to go do that, and it kind of it's built into that I have to do it anyway. So that, that's kind of good for me. Um, if to be honest, if I didn't, wasn't a part of the industry, like I am, I probably wouldn't find as much time to train. I'd probably start degrading and I wouldn't be as well versed, but I, I stay up on it enough just because I'm a part, this is part of what I do. So it's kind of built into my systems. Like same thing I was telling guys about me getting a black belt in jujitsu, like, it was easier for me than most because we had black belts at fifth group that were paid to be there in the mornings, like every morning through the week. So like I come to work and I was getting paid to like hang out with black belts and jujitsu at the freaking gym. And it's like, wow, I have to be there anyway. So it was just convenient for me to be training jujitsu all the damn time. So that helped me make rank. Now, if I was a regular guy and I didn't have to be there and it wasn't as convenient, probably wouldn't fucking made that progress, you know? I just happened to be built into my lifestyle and what I was doing. So I get it. Everyday people don't always have that fucking, uh, that going on for them. So at least once a month, I say this, like any civilian that's like starting new with this, if you're a military guy or whatever, I guess anybody, like if you don't have a good solid foundation, right. You need to try to get that. So I would encourage a civilian, like, Hey, go somewhere where you have to immerse yourself um, if you really want to be good, like you really want to be competent, meaning your preparation and competence level meet together and you're actually confident with that tool in that particular context, fighting, self-defense, you know, whatever, fucking patrolling, whatever you want to use it for. Um, you need to immerse yourself and get a the groundwork laid a good foundation. Luckily us, we've been to schools and, you know, the military pays you and you go to school and you're fucking, and it's still not the end all be all because it's taken years. You know, I've done plenty of training where it didn't really fucking stick. And I was there for, you know, 60 days or whatever, like just depends on what you're doing, but getting a good groundwork and a good solid base of information of how to manipulate that gun, the safety involved, the effectiveness, get that down at least. Um, and then from there, need to add to your skill sets if you don't already have stuff and then uh, i think the studies say 21 days you know your skills start degrading you know if you're fucking say you're an expert at x y or z but you don't do that or even think about those things for 21 days your skills are degrading at that point like it's just getting worse from there on out now there's levels to training like there's visualization is a way of training it doesn't have to be necessarily shooting a live gun and in a complex drill at the range i just think about the things um i visualize um i I wrote a paper one time doing college about visualization and the way visualization was used at olympic level athletes and stuff like that and even like the blue angels the guys that perform in the jets yeah uh, they sit around a conference table and basically uh it was talking about the power of visualization it's like it's almost as good as doing the real thing right? Um, to a certain degree. 
right? And they sit around the table and close their eyes and like go through all the calls that they make to, to make their maneuvers in the air and do it as if they're just doing the show. And they're just, they're just imagining that they're doing it. And then they talked about it. There was another person on there that did in the study was a downhill skier. And she learned the whole course and her coaches had her go through like, all right, you're coming down the hill. All right. There's a bank, right. You bank it, you do whatever and do this. And then she was going through the whole course that she would be competing on for whatever event. And they were talking about how it's, it's great. Your mind is so powerful because you can actually put yourself in that situation and visually see what's supposed to happen. So when I say training, I mean, whatever, is applicable to your level or what you need to do for what you're getting ready for, right? So it doesn't have to be full bore, all out, complex exercise with role players and fucking whatever, you know, visualize. And I do that more than anybody. My wife gets mad at me because I'm distant. <laughs> I'm, I should be here. I'm thinking about something over here. Right? Sure. I'm thinking like, oh, I could be doing this. She'll see me fuck around. Like it's like watching the fights or watching jujitsu tournaments. I'm sure maybe you do it too. I don't know. I, I get into it. I'm thinking. I get so wrapped up in what they're doing that I'm like, <laughs> start moving your body. Yeah. yeah, I'm moving around and I'm like, and she knows it. Like she's like, get off me. Like I'll be watching a fight and I'll be tensing up, pushing on her. She's like she get off me. So it's it's a very powerful tool. Your mind. So I think. Once you've got a good baseline and you've got the skills that you need foundationally concerning safety and uh, effective manipulation and mechanics of the particular tool or things that you're using for whatever you're training for, then at least uh, once a month, you need to get in and do something specific to that and spend a good day or two. Uh, engrossed in that particular skill and then uh, once you get doing that and you feel like all the, the physical stuff maybe is good to go concerning guns and stuff like then you can start thinking about the role playing and adding context to certain things and even my son and I we've done stuff in the yard here we're just sneaking up on each other and then uh, trying to shoot each other with the airsoft guns just go hide and I'm going to come find you. you you'd be surprised how effective that is like because I mean I'm not fighting I'm not scared for my life, but I know it's, I know my son Judah is hiding somewhere and I don't know where he is. So I'm like, I don't want to get shot with the fucking airsoft gun. I'm trying to look and I'm moving and I'm, I'm trying to stay disciplined with my, my tactics. I'm like, all right, make sure I don't, all right, don't, don't get over, overzealous. Don't just bust into somewhere because I know this is a game. Stick to my tactics, do it the right way. And you get a lot out of it. You know, I do. What do you sure. think? I like it. Yeah, I, I, I'm glad you covered that because I actually wrote that in my in my new program. So there's my quick solicit real quick. Um, my in the warrior program, I talk about <clears throat> I went over performance psychology and uh, mental mapping is, is what I call that the imagery. Uh, you know, I've done it to, uh, you know, before before class or even uh, I try not to implement new things during tournaments, but I've done it, you know, sitting there waiting for a tournament to start. I'll sit there and think in my head and like, about moves that I'm going to do. I'll like actually try to visualize it as much as possible. Like how it's going to feel, how, what I need to do, you know, um, try to try to put all five senses into it. I really get a feel for that movement. And sometimes you can get a lot of reps in that way. Uh, you know, say, say you got to go work for the day and you want to get your reps in, you know, do some mental mapping and you can get some extra practice that way. You don't necessarily have to have everything right in front of you. So uh, they, that's cool that it works for uh, 
for these things because ammo isn't cheap right now and uh that'll be good uh you know i want to start picking this stuff up a little bit more well as a as an everyday person as a civilian i think if i you know of course i'm not an expert in the amount of training one should do or or even performance psychology i'm not an expert in any of that i've learned a lot over the years and learned from people that are considered experts right um but if i had to say my theory is that everyday people like ourselves even with our background right the majority of my training is going to be mental right that's where i that's what i have the time for right um, some people can go to the gym like like jujitsu gyms guys that compete i know they stay at the gym for hours on every day right that's not me anymore like i've got a good baseline but i'm not I've got three times a week that I can really do something with jujitsu. Now, other than that, I'll tell you this, I, before I go to teach my classes in the morning, like this morning, I tell the class, like I'm going back reviewing my notes because we changed themes, what position and what te techniques are we going to be uh, teaching for the next three weeks or whatever, what takedown. And we, all the, the, the coaches at the gym, we kind of you know, get on the same sheet of music for what we're teaching in our various classes. And I have to go back and like, you know, I, there's there's certain positions and techniques that I don't implement in my game all the time. There's some that that I do with my go-to stuff, but then ones that I'm not as familiar with, I got to remind myself. I look back in my notes. I look at back. I make studies when I was testing for belts and stuff like that. I would get links to videos that I thought were helpful that that tied like you know, uh, spider guard like three sweeps from spider guard what's a good progression if they stand up above you versus taking one knee, getting in combat base versus being on both knees. What is a good progression to counter whatever they do to keep from getting swept? So things like that I review all the time. And looking at videos on YouTube, I mean, especially if you have good experience with the context of that particular subject, like I can, I can benefit from just looking at that video and kind of thinking through what I would do and then putting my visualizing in my head that mental mapping like you're talking about and i just think about it, I'm like okay yeah right and i just go through it in my head so for me that that, that goes a long way uh I'll, I'll probably do that more than i actually do the the physical task of anything anymore as i think about it more than i do it ever um i think that's just part of it especially when your time is limited and you've already built developed a baseline you can get away with doing less intensive physical things you know, for my level of ability. Now, if you're an Olympic athlete, you're expected to perform at the highest levels. I mean, everybody that you're going against is going to their life. They're going to eat, sleep and breathe, whatever that fucking is that they do. So right. that's, that's your challenge there. Like, what is, what are you going against? And you better be at that same level as them. Uh, talent has a lot to play in that, but you basically got to put in the work for us. Like I, I feel like I have an acceptable capability for what I expect to do with it. You know what I mean? Especially right. concerning the average citizen, which I won't, you know, uh, some people will be better suited for fucking fighting the best in the world versus others. But, you know, the average citizen, you know, be realistic with your time. Like, Hey, I need to be good at being a dad. I need to be good at fucking being a husband. I need to be good at fucking, getting the shit done that's broken my house or fixing this fucking car and keeping up with the fucking, does my tires need rotated? Whatever the shit I'm doing, whose birthday's coming up, whatever right. the fuck. I mean, there's so many things, right? 
And then we talk about your physical conditioning and stuff that you do. What, when am I going to work out? When, I need to maintain that. I need to be somewhat functional. Like I'm not going to, doesn't matter how good I am at any of these skills. If I can't fucking move my body and do things that I want to do. Um, now add into that, let's see specialty skills that I think I need that make me the teacher that I am and make me able to implement the things that I teach. Right. So I need to fucking do grappling and fucking self-defense uh specific drills or training and then i have to fucking work my fucking guns because that's what i fucking teach um so there's definitely guys need to think about the best way to do it for their life their lifestyle and what they what they have to do every day but mental mapping i I think that's key man like i'm glad that that subject came up mental mapping visualization i do a lot of a lot of yeah like that uh, it, it does get overwhelming. It's nice to have that option because uh, there's so many things uh, I'm bad about spreading myself thin. So there's so many things I want to do. So I'll try to do it all at once. And it's just uh, sometimes you can't physically do everything all at once in one day. Sometimes time doesn't allow for that. So you got to kind of get disciplined, break down some sort of a schedule. And then uh, the mental mapping gives you an option for those times where you can't be doing that thing necessarily, like say, for that average, you know, guy who works the, uh, you know, say you work a 12 hour shift and you're stuck at work, you know, that's a way to get some extra work in for that hobby that you like, you know, not, not saying daydream on the job all day, but you know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. gives you an option. You get it in where you can. You yeah. Know? Um, I think the older we get, the more experience we get with this stuff, the better we we're more efficient with spending our time doing certain things. Right. Right. You know, I can get a lot of I can get a lot of social media and visual visualization done on the toilet. You know, I'm sure <laughs> a 42 year old, you know, we spend a lot of time on the toilet. <laughs> Multitasking. <dude. laughs> Multitasking. All right. Hey, I'm training in here. I'm yeah. training. <laughs> I like that. Um, hey, look, I think we answered a lot of these. Let's look at 15. I think 15. Is good. Cool. Um, yeah. What is, what's the key differences between team room clearing and solo man room clearing so that it's a good question Daniel. <laughs> uh so i i get into cqb a lot cqb was our close quarters battle like uh, clearing structures houses or whatever for those that may not know um that was kind of my forte for the majority of my time in the military um the school and the training and the actual unit that i was in that was kind of like our focus so uh I really enjoyed it. And what I consider from CQB, and I tell a lot of guys this, I was like, every fight is not like CQB, but the, the elements involved in close quarters, whether it be the hands-on, the stuff involved with firearms, it doesn't really matter, with opposition in a, in a room where you don't know they are and you have to go into that room to physically clear it. All the elements involved really help you to become a better, well-rounded tactician in general, in my opinion. Like, it's almost like, uh the collateral the peripheral skills learned throughout all that even if you never did cqb in your life but you did cqb for this many years i think they're gonna make you better at all the other things that involved in tactics and and uh facing opposition in a, in a combat scenario just because it, there's so much involved like you gotta um the speed surprise violence of action uh which are the words thrown around for getting into a room and, and, and taking dominating a structure taking it over that's applicable in everything 
as far as fighting, even sports, team sports, opposition, that's applicable. Um, as far as uh, how you are, are all the, the minutiae of having to fucking go into a room and see something and taking a lot of information to make a decision in a split second. That's applicable in every type of fighting scenario, right? Like you, you get information, you want it as fast as you can. Your eyes are the, the main thing that gives you that information, unless you're talking about the feel of grappling and stuff like that, which gives you a lot of information as well. But usually at distance, my eyes give me all the information and, and tell me what I need to do. So the gap between my me getting the information from whatever's in front of me, processing it, and then taking action, that's what we're training to close that gap. There's always going to be some sort of gap. But how small can that gap be? How quick can I process and, and take action on this information? And that's where the, the levels of training and skill come into play. So CQB involves a lot of that. I mean, you come into a room and essentially you're facing a potential ambush in any part of a structure that you go into because we call it dead space or it's uncleared. You don't know what's in there yet. And then you go into it. So you can you can imagine and I know you can imagine, but those out there listening can, could imagine maybe um, having to make split second life uh, life decisions <laughs> in a split second with just information that you just gathered just now. Bam, there's the information. What do you do about it? So, that, so you have to have a lot of tools to implement. Like you got to be very good in that situation. It's definitely not all about shooting. I tell people in my classes, right, and because everybody sees the movies and they think you go John Wick and you go to a house and fucking you go around every corner. There's fucking guys shooting and people train that too. Like just like that training video with 10th Mountain, like they're training specifically for something. But every room they go into, there's some targets on the far side of the room. They're shooting them. Bang, 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 bang. Ninety nine percent. I always change the number, but it's in the not high 90 percentile. Uh 90, let's call it 98.37% of the time that I've spent going into a house in a real life situation, you never fucking even touch the trigger on a gun, right? And that's ideal in real life. I mean, everybody that trains to do that shit and did it professionally, there's some part of you that wants to fucking implement your skills and like, yeah, I want to go slay motherfuckers and fight. But if you do the tactics right and you're doing what you're supposed to do, you should gain, have some surprise, and you should catch people off guard, uh, diversionary devices, shock and all, blowing doors, and you should be on top of them before they even have a chance to process the information and react to it. So that's ideal for the for those that are going to clear the house. Like that's gonna give me the minimum amount of risk. My dog's barking or something. Can you pick that up real bad, my dog? I can hear I can hear him. It's not like overwhelming. It's my killer shih tzu dog. <laughs> service dog oh yeah <laughs> uh, anyway so uh yeah so you're, you're not if you're doing everything right you should get a hold of somebody before you ever have to shoot if you fuck something up and they know you're coming you're gonna have a hard time uh and then and people's like well why don't you just go in there and blast up the fucking place? Like, well, if we could just blast up any damn thing and pull the trigger, even in the military, you can't do that. Like, then I would just fucking drop a fucking J-dam on top of the house, a bomb on the house, because obviously there's something in there we have to determine 
uh, who's good and who's bad. And we have to, there, uh, there, there might be threats and there might be innocence. There might, there's unknowns. Like, so, I mean, we wouldn't even bother going in here if there wasn't something that we had to get out of here. That's something that we wanted to keep. We just dropped a bomb on it like that. Hey, they're dead. You don't have to risk anybody. We don't have to go in there. Right. So, uh, it's a very hard thing, CQB. It's, I know it's sexy and people think that they're just going to be able to do that, but there's so much more to it, man. It's like, especially if you, you've done it for years. Like I know all the things that are more difficult than just the shooting part. The shooting part is the fucking, the easiest fucking part. Uh, you can shoot any, all day, any day. I go in a fucking house. As long as you know how to fucking work the gun and you've got all those base skills and foundation laid and fucking working the gun, manipulating the gun safely and effectively, you can shoot fucking targets all fucking day. Shoot people with fucking salt sims or fucking, you know, force on force munitions all day, every day, which, but it has, does add more of a realistic degree to it. Um, so team versus uh, solo is a big difference because the tactics are, are very different, right? Going in the house inherently, we talk about our house, a typical U.S. house, um, like cops might see all the time. I know overseas, there's a lot more concrete usually in different setups. Um, but mostly we can, we we go off the assumption that walls can be shot through inside of a structure usually there's not a lot of cover in a structure so as it pertains to cqb that means we, i te teach people and especially at the highest military or law enforcement levels like we talked about the gun is your fucking cover the gun your plates if you got body armor and then your buddy that's the cover you don't assume you don't take rooms and hide behind walls drywall and get held up that's bad tactics as it as it pertains to cqb because that's not cover and you're losing momentum and you're going to get bogged down and you're not going to be able to accomplish what you're doing and the longer you stay in one spot letting the rest of the the structure know that you're there the more they can prepare their ambush for you as you come so there's definitely a uh a and we're not talking about hostage rescue type situation we're just talking about clearing houses deliberately there's definitely a, a an agreement, a, a mix of speed versus security and tactics. Like you, you got to have momentum. You got to be able to dictate the pace, just like you would in a sporting event. Football, soccer, team versus team. The team that dictate dictates the pace for that competition or that sport usually wins because they're they're making the other team react the whole time. They dictate the pace. They're pushing you, making you do things that you don't necessarily want to do. And you're not deciding what you want to do. You're reacting to what they're telling you to do. Um, so that's a key part of CQB. Moving, getting into the room, knowing what to do. Team versus solo again, like, especially in a civilian uh, civilian context, like maybe I'm clearing my house. But I heard a bump in the night. Something's going on. I might not, I'm not going to have plates on. Uh, I'm not going to have a buddy, right? So I'm going to be a, a lot more, I'm going to err a lot more on the side of surprise and, and, and being covert as much as possible in that situation, just because I don't want to uh, give up my leverage in the situation. I don't want to give them anything. So I'm going to be less dynamic. I'm not going to be busting in anywhere because Obviously, in a room, you go in a room, whether it be if it's a center fed door, meaning the door is in the center of the wall, right? There's two two corners to clear if somebody's sitting up an ambush on you in that room. 
you can't clear both of them at the same time unless you're John Wick and you got two guns and you fucking just shoot anyway. Like, but it's not realistic. Um, Team-wise, I have a buddy clearing that room so I or that corner so I can focus on the other corner and not think twice about that one if we're doing everything right. So I'm going to take my time and not commit to rooms as much. I'm going to take, I'm going to see as much as I can, get as much information as I can before I commit myself to a bad situation, if that makes sense, if I had to sum it up generally. Yeah. So that's the big thing with solo versus team. I, I need to be more deliberate, more quiet, use everything to, at my uh, that, that I have at my disposal to figure out, get information before I commit to a situation. Now that's for winning in a tactical life-threatening situation. And that's also for ensuring that you don't make the wrong choices, wrong decisions. Um, I know of someone that ha has killed their stepdaughter sneaking back into their house. Right. Um, they mm -hmm. didn't, and I don't know all the story about it. I just know that that's the end result. So I don't know if it was a problem where, there was an accident or negligent operation of the, the firearm or was it, it was just a, they didn't discriminate like they should and got excited and was scared. I don't know what it was, but I know the end result is what they didn't want to happen, happen. So that's why we have to get as much information as possible too, and have good foundational skills, good trigger uh, control, all the, all those base fundamental basic shit has to be, built into you and programmed into you before you get yourself in a complex situation like clearing a structure where you think that there's a threat or potentially a threat like that's get all this stuff out of the way so when you're walking around a house a good example is this so pistols my pistol doesn't have safety we talked about that already all right um my rifle has a safety which gave me an extra couple of tenths of a second to figure out if I needed to shoot or not. So sometimes I've told people I've flipped the safety to fire. And before my finger went on the trigger, as I did that, I determined that I didn't need to engage. Right. So I still had that. I had that extra little bit of time to, to, to just determine what I was going to do, which was good pistol. You need that same amount of time, but you just don't have that safety. You don't have that particular mechanism that you have to engage. That is like a built-in default. Or build in uh, fail safe. So I tell them I keep I press into this frame hard with this finger, and I don't even no matter how scared I get I don't slide down in here, right? Because my finger could react and hit that trigger. So I don't even creep here. So I know some people say you know, well I sit it here because I know my finger's off the trigger, right? And I say well when I'm practicing to make sure that I don't have a sympathetic response to somebody scaring me and me doing something that I don't want to do. I make sure I'm safe up on this frame here, not because I'm Mr. Safety guy. And I think that, you know, this person is not good enough to do that. I'm just telling them that I know as a human that I can be scared <laughs> and that I don't want any, I want to fail safe that keeps me from accidentally touching that trigger. If I jerk and have a sympathetic reaction. Now, if I'm truly scared for my life, there's a chance that I'm going to be scared coming around the corner doing different things that you might scare me and make me jerk. And I use the illustration all the time with my kids. Like I've been looking in the refrigerator before and didn't hear one of my kids come up. And I, when I noticed them behind the refrigerator door, it scared the shit out of me. And I jerked, I jerked the refrigerator like, <laughs> right. So my whole body flexed and almost pulled and I moved the whole refrigerator just because a kid in a situation where I didn't have anything to be scared about and the safety of my own home 
I did something so drastic to me that seemed drastic for that situation, you know, and I wasn't anticipating any danger. So imagine if I'm anticipating that you're about to hurt me and I'm fucking so fucking amped up and I'm looking and hunting and trying to be quiet. Physiologically, I'm not going to be able to control my heart rate. It's going to go up. There's going to be things that I can't control. So I want all those safety defaults in there. So the basics of just having your your trigger finger in the right spot so it doesn't sympathetically do something you don't want it to, that's that's things that's got to be built in. That's fucking dangerous in the wrong situation. I don't want to hurt somebody that's innocent. I definitely don't want to kill mine. You know, I don't know how I live with that. Uh, so fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals that need to be rock solid, especially if you think you're going to be hunting somebody in a dangerous situation where your heart rate is going to be involuntarily high. You're going to be breathing. You're fucking amped up. All the physiological effects of fear are going to be in place. You better have those safety defaults, those fail safes in place that help you be successful and not a liability in that moment. Key. Um, so don't jump in it. Don't, don't, don't commit to anything. If you're clearing your house by yourself, stay outside, reserve the right to run back. Uh, people don't understand this a lot of times. And, you know, it took me a while for CQB because the way I was taught in the military was, you know, do it a certain way. Yeah. There was times we would slow clear, but that was very different than being solo because I still had a buddy with me. Right. And I was kept people behind me and they're, they're filling in, holes where I can't fill in. So that was always uh, good to have you by yourself. You need to see everything. So give yourself the time to react. So I come up on a door, I stay far away. I use as much, I use space and, and, and the, the reactionary gap to give me time to process as much as I can. Um, it's a, it's a difficult fucking complex task to clear structures by yourself or with people because there's so much involved and you have to be, good you have to have a lot of practice and, and skills to fucking be effective in that and you got some experience with that right clearing houses cqb i know the uh, ranger regiment does a lot of that stuff and they and they train it a lot it's not simple i mean it is simple if, you, if, if the if the task is go in the shoot house and shoot all the paper up and don't worry about anything else but that and that's that could be hard in itself but that's just one aspect of it you know, getting your hands on people. And I tell people in close quarters, just because you have a rifle or a pistol and a secondary pistol, you're still going to put your hands on people more than you shoot people easily. You get your hands on because I'm doing everything. I come in, I get my hands on them. So what do you do then? Like, so you better have some skills there. So uh, that's, that's one of the hardest things you can do tactical, tactically speaking. In my, in my opinion, is, is CQB in general because of the inherent risk of being ambushed, having sh- a short amount of time to process information and act on it. Right. right. So that's about it, man. Hopefully that's summed it all. I know I'm fucking all over the place. No, that's perfect. You know, I've, I'm, uh, that's something uh, I've been looking into is it kind of what, what training that you know, I had, we had that parallels <clears throat> now as applicable now as a civilian, because obviously the, the dynamics going to be different and, uh, you know, center fed room, especially, you know, being a, being a, uh, solo man versus a buddy team clearing a room. Uh, you know, my, my stab at it is, I, you know, I've kind of looked into this a little bit, I guess you're trying to pie off as much of the room as you can 
before you enter the room. So you kind of stick into the to the door frame, try not to overexpose yourself and kind of seeing as much as you can see before you go in. And then I guess incrementally, incrementally opening yourself up to that information. Right. So once you go in, my question for you, because uh, I actually didn't didn't piece this part, but once you actually decide to commit to the room, how do you clear that that little bit of dead space? You know, say you don't see the full corner on both sides. How would you go about doing that just as quickly so, as possible? Or is there... So worst case scenario, you know, there's there's corner fed rooms and center fed rooms for those that might not know that like I mentioned the center fed earlier. Center fed is kind of the hardest because you have two deep corners. As soon as you go in the door, I go in uh, and left and right is deep. Something over there could be there, something over there, right? Um, so that being the worst case scenario, we'll address that. Like you said, pieing or incrementally exposing your, your, your barrel or your vision to as much as the room as possible before you actually commit to that room or give yourself up to somebody in that room, meaning I don't want to give them any information on me either. So the more quiet I can be, the less light I can use. Like if I show a flashlight uh, and I'm and somebody knows I'm actively hunting them when before they thought it was an old lady that lived in this house, they were just robbing. Now they know that, hey, this motherfucker with a flashlight looks like he's using tactics. How do you think that's going to change their reaction and their preparation for the fight coming? You know, so you might give them information that tell that that helps them prepare better to be successful against you. So limit all the information you're giving them, and that means limit your exposure to that room. Um, so pieing it off is how you do that incrementally, just for people that might not know. I know you know what pieing off is. So deep angle from the way I'm approaching the door, see as much as I can in that deep corner over here, and then slowly incrementally, only as fast as you can process the information and and successfully effectively react to it, you expose yourself to that room as much as you can. And that might be going all the way across the door, or that might be because you can't go all the way across the door for whatever reason, or you don't want to see it as much as you can. And then from that point, I'm determining if it's my house, I know where I got furniture in that room. So if I know to the left of this door, when I go in this room, there's a fucking bed or there's a fucking big sh shelf thing and a man probably wouldn't hide over there. So I'm based off of that information, I might determine that going right first is the, the more likely place that a person would hide because there's furniture over here that wouldn't allow them to hide. So any information like that is going to hopefully tell me which way to commit to first, because I only can commit to one corner at a time once I go in. So I'm using all that information. If it's my house, like I said, that's, that helps me out because I know the terrain better than they do. And I, I should know what's in my own room. Uh, that being said, if I don't know the room, then I'm thinking maybe I heard something. Maybe I heard a I'm looking for any of my senses to tell me where the threat might be in that room. Right. If I've got a buddy, like we talked about team, then you're just committing to one or the other. And then we usually have a, a fill, you know, a policy, you know, go to the hard route, go to the, the unknown is what I say. Go to, always go to the unknown first, because if I see this corner, then I need to face my gun towards what I don't see and err on the side of being cautious there. Um, so whatever you use to determine which way to go, go that way, commit to it. Don't commit fully into the room um, because we're not having to secure a foothold in a room and get out of the way of the train or the, the other team members that might be behind me trying to push through and, and flow through a house in order to, to use momentum and get into that house as soon as possible to prevent, you know, bad guys from setting up and ambushing us, which we want to maintain that momentum. 
that kind of dictates sometimes that we have to flow faster in the rooms and commit to rooms faster. A lot of people that don't do this don't know that. But as a civilian, like, I don't need to get out of their way. So even though I don't have a lot of cover or I can't really call a drywall cover, right, I might not want to commit all the way to that room yet just because I don't want to get in there and get tangled up with somebody before I have a chance to process what I need to do uh, in that moment. So uh, I'll pop in the door and basically split the door frame down, like stepping into the room through the door frame and freaking stay at the door what we call the fatal funnel in in military tactics or military CQB. There's no real fatal funnel when you're in your own house doing self-defense type situation or a home defense situation. There's not like a fucking army sitting there waiting on you. Like we're all going to shoot at the door. Right. And if I, if he is waiting on me, aiming at the door, then I mean, it's a bad situation anyway. Right. And I'll get into that in a second, but so I, I pop in, I see what I can see there, and then I shoulder check quickly behind me, right? Because that's the other the other corner. So I got to commit to one, however I do it. I, I could even step inside the room if I wanted to and continue down that wall, but I need to get in there, process that information quickly, light if I have to, if it's low light, and I need to check behind me quickly as fast as I can and be prepared to come back that way. So it's it's really, it's, there's no way of doing it without risk. There's no, it's not possible. I mean, CQB is inherently risky, uh, solo or with a team. So you pop in, either stay at the doorway, fucking lock it down from the doorframe area through the threshold or all the way into the room and immediately check back over your shoulder. Um, if I know that I'm trying to get from point A to point B, like my kids are on that side of the house and I don't give a shit what's in these rooms. I just need to fucking make sure I don't fucking get hurt along the way. Then I'm just going to double check those real quick, like a head check. Boom, boom, got my gun up and ready, check, check, and freaking keep moving to where I'm trying to get to my destination because that's my main priority to get from this wing to that wing of the house. And I don't necessarily want need to go in every room. I'm just making sure that it's secure. Um, that being said, uh, one great tactic or, or technique for home defense is making them come to you. Like anytime I can, I would make them come to me. I'll just wait. So does that mean that I lure them there? Maybe. Maybe I make a door creak. Maybe I do something and make them hear it, and then I just sit and wait. And I'll see what I can get. There's no hurry. The only time that changes is when there's an exigent circumstance where I have time is of the, of the essence, and I have to go find them. Why would I ever go find and hunt somebody and put myself in an ambush, potentially ambush situation, if I don't have to? I just wait on you to come to me and then I, and I got all the time in the world to set up. Yeah. Um, so the only thing in my house that would dictate that I go upstairs is like something's going on upstairs and I'm downstairs upstairs is where all my kids are. So I got to go up there. Right. I'm not going to wait and let my kids just get hurt while I wait on. Well, I'm not going up there. Sounds like some bad shit happening. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> like, good luck. Send them down. <laughs> uh, so I got to go there. So I got to put, I got, I got to accept that risk. Anything else, though, where I, I know what's out there and I fucking know that maybe this is the only path out of the house or they have to come this way. I'm sitting back. I'm calling the police if that's the case. If I really think it's somebody and then I'm sitting back and I might fucking I might even throw something, throw something over there, see what they do. Make a door creak. Um, If I can, while I'm doing that, people say just flash a light. Well, again, back to that situation. If I'm in your house and I see somebody using a flashlight, I'm thinking this guy. This person 
seems to be ready for this, <laughs> which right. changes my thought process. I'm not just taking a soft target and opportunistic old lady alone breaking into her house. Sounds like I got somebody that's down, down the fucking deal with my ass changes my tactics completely. Right. right. I don't want you to know that you're dealing with me. I want you to think that I'm a pushover. That's going to be better for me because you're not going to be as prepared. So if you think I'm just a little old lady and you just hear a creak or, and you think that I'm not onto you yet, then you're less likely to, to be aggressive and try to dictate the pace on me and gain momentum by violence of action. Right. I need to have that, that surprise factor and uh, catch you off guard with the violence of action. So get them to come to you and set up the ambush on them. If I don't have to clear corners. I won't. I just wait. Yeah. That makes sense. It does. That's really good information. I like so, that a lot. I think about it a lot, man. So <laughs> yeah, just just concepts. I like the way that you break things down into concepts. You know, it's uh, makes things a lot easier to like grasp a, a big picture. So that's uh, super helpful. And, and that being said, like, what advice would you give to somebody who would be apprehensive about attending tactical classes? Say they've never done anything before, and they want to attend something like that, but they're like, okay, I'm not going to be as good as these guys. Or, or, uh, or they're worried about, you know, like I see with, uh, even with jujitsu, they're like, well, I got to get in shape first before I start, or I got to do this first before I start. So what advice would you give? I would say, uh, first off, you know, usually most classes that people that put on, uh, they label them, you know, uh, skill level wise, like, you know, beginner or basic intermediate advanced and, Obviously, if whatever you're learning has to do with a certain tool or, or, or firearm or weapon, and if you're going to a class that has more is, is more of an intermediate class, meaning you should already know how to work this gun safely, consistent, you're consistently safe, and you can make this gun work the way, you're, way it's supposed to uh, effectively, then you start adding complexity to your training where I'm fucking moving and shooting or fucking doing multiple targets or fucking processing information or whatever the case may be right so that's always a given you got to have that down already right and jujitsu you know there's different levels of class basics and whatnot and you gotta uh the the nature or, or i guess the culture of jujitsu gyms though is really kind of mix everybody up so i find myself as a teacher fucking going back and forth with different students like all right this guy's getting a fucking just a general concept that I'm trying to give him. And this guy, I'm talking about a specific nuance of a technique because he's, he's at a higher level, you know? Um, so yeah, you got to get the baseline stuff out of the way. Uh, if you want to, to be good at this stuff and you're very interested, you have to, uh, you have to bite the bullet. Nothing comes easy, right? We can't get the path leashes. There's no mystical, magical way that you can do, anything and get good at it without some discomfort that means growth and that means you have to put yourself out there and be willing to to be embarrassed a little bit um realize that some people might make fun of you or people might give you shit about not knowing something but that's just human ways that's what people do i try to remind people that well how many times have you done this and they like zero i was like well why do you feel stupid that you don't know how to do it i don't you don't look stupid to me. I mean, I, it is what it is. I know you're a person that don't know how to do it. So yeah, uh, you don't know how to do it. Like I didn't expect you to know how to do it. 
Right. So why, why would I think you could do it? So you're not getting judgment from me. Now, if you're ashamed because you like to project to people that you're something and whatever you want people to believe about you, and then they see the truth, yeah, you should be embarrassed because you people was believing one thing and you and you and you allowed them to believe that, and now the proof is in the pudding, right? Right. It, it is. And I've been there, like you don't want to fuck up anything, especially if you're one of those guys. Like you think military wise, the NCOs, they're supposed to know everything, but you in reality, you don't know every fucking thing. So mm -hmm. but you gotta act like you do. If you're in charge, you gotta be in charge sometimes. So yeah. with those guys, I try to remind them if you don't tell yourself the truth if you don't know what you're doing don't come in here thinking that i'm going to look stupid because i don't know what i'm doing any good trainer any good environment they know that you came here to learn so why would i expect you to know what you're doing exactly right so that's that's no big deal like get past it i'll give you we can laugh about it oh dang what are you doing with that thing that's crazy what is your <laughs> that's you look goofy that's fine you know yeah you're gonna look goofy just like i've looked goofy just like dan daniel's look goofy we look goofy doing things like i didn't know what i was doing right. um as long as we're safe we just get the safety out of the way so tactical classes or any classes that you think are are beyond you or maybe not beyond you at in a skill level or the approach to it as far as what the content of the class is, but just a, a different environment that you're less comfortable in because you're exposing yourself to something that is new to you. Like you just have to bite that bullet really. Like you just got to say, Hey, how do you learn without going to learn something? You don't, you don't, you can, you have to go expose yourself to something new. You have to put yourself on the spot. There may be people that see you doing stuff, you know what, but the good thing about, and I tell people on the range all this time, like I talk about going through drills and doing certain things. I'm like, look, I want you to be accurate as possible and hit whatever target I'm having you hit for this particular drill. And if you hear your buddy Daniel over here shooting, fucking bang, he's shooting it and he's being accurate. And he's doing what the drill involves and he's doing it accurately and being successful, but he's doing it way faster than you. And you pick that up because you hear him shooting faster than you. And people tend to like, they'll start shooting fast and then they're not hitting where they're supposed to hit. And I'm like, well, that defeats the purpose of what we're doing here. Like, don't worry about how fast he's going. You're just trying to keep up with him. And I get it because like, you feel like I don't want to hold the class up. I don't want to be the one that looks like the fucking guy that sucks, whatever the case may be. I tell you, Hey, focus on what reality is. Focus on what the truth is. Right. If the truth is this, that you can only draw your gun this fast and then hit uh, acceptably accurate on this, with this certain speed or this certain approach, then that's you. That's what you can do. That's what it is. Don't try to be different. Right. Bottom line. That's it. Like you came to learn at the class. Be truthful with yourself. That's the only way you're going to fucking learn. That's part of being truthful with yourself. Your skills are what they are. Yep. So with your, uh, you see it in the gym all the time. Like, and I used to feel it lifting heavy. Like what do people do? They see this guy lifting weights. I'm going to live there with my buddy and we're lifting together and he's super fucking strong at whatever. And I'm not, man, inevitably, uh, unless you've already experienced it and you've adjusted accordingly, inevitably you'll try to fucking like, well, let me see if I can fucking, you know, and then you, your posture, your fucking, your mechanics are all fucked up and you're trying to, I'm going to get it up because fucking Daniel got it up. And that's, it, that, that's the dick measuring that comes out that fucking puts you in a bad spot. And you just need to be like, Hey, talk myself down. Just like the emotional thing. Talk myself down. Like, well, how much training am I going to get done when I'm injured? <laughs> Right. Zero. So let's just uh, 
accept the fucking humble pie today and just admit that I'm fucking weaker than fucking Daniel in the squat. So I'm just going to fucking squat what I know I can do. That's still going to benefit me, even though I didn't win this fucking little battle today. Sure. Cause I, nobody has those expectations of people. You know, people put those expectations on themselves most of the time. And I think it's important for people to realize that, you know, <clears throat> if your friend squats a certain amount and then you go to squat the same, uh, or, or, you know, say you can't and you go, Hey, let's drop the weight. That dude's not going to be sitting there. Most likely he's not going to be sitting there going, he's not going to go home that day and go you know daniel can't squat this or you know whatever yeah he don't give a shit no he doesn't care he feels good about himself maybe he's like oh i can do more weight it's always about me you know like realistically most people are looking at what what am i doing oh me i can do this me so that comparison you're comparing yourself to others when you know they're doing the same thing you know they're looking at them though ultimately they're looking at okay this is what i'm good at this is what i'm good at they're not going home that day going you know ryan or whoever didn't do this as fast as me today you know is they were like oh i was faster than you know uh i was fast today yeah so i guess changing your the way you think about it yeah i mean and that's a that's like a a a true i'm trying to think of the way to put it and i forget words sometimes I forget common words sometimes, <laughs> but just a, a, a inevitable truth, the truth about yourself. We, we talked about it earlier philosophically, like you, you need to be honest with yourself and that, and I'm not all, you know, all of it, that, that, that involves some discomfort and pain sometimes to be honest with yourself, depending on what degree we're, or what context we're talking about. But that's a practice of being honest with yourself right there. It's like, Hey, I am at this level. And I'm not at Daniel's level. So I have to be honest with myself and be like, I'm just not at that level. Can I still benefit? Can I still get a benefit out of this workout or this class or whatever we're doing? I still will get a benefit, even though I don't match you. I don't need to put myself under the microscope and say, uh, it only counts if I'm as good as Daniel. Right. 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 That's what we do to ourselves, though. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what happens when we just talking about looking at the Internet and seeing different people. And you're just like. Sometimes you got to look at the relative success that you have versus, well, is it successful compared to this? Well, you're not going to be successful just compared to that. Relatively, you're still fucking pretty damn good. Like, tell guys on the mat in jujitsu, I'm like, hey, you're not as good as these guys, but because I don't believe, you know, I'm not getting into like the everybody gets a trophy fucking culture, but I'm saying I do want to give credit where credit's due. And I realize the fucking plight. And the uh, battle that people have as far as putting themselves out there. So when people come to the gym and step on the mat and expose themselves to maybe a culture or an environment that they're not used to just being sweaty and fucking trusting that, you know, I can manhandle somebody and they're going to let me and not get mad. And I'm going to fuck things up and do this. And I'm going to look stupid because I can't breathe and I'm tired and everybody else is still going and I'm weak. Like that is a fucking, that's a win. Like, get on the mat. I tell them, you're better than 99% of the world just because you step foot on the mat. Yeah. Some people won't even accept that challenge. All right? And that's the tactical training. Like, some people won't even put themselves out there. And I got a lot of people, they're like, well, I'll come to a private class, but, but I need to get, you know, done up before I, I I do this actual group class. And I'm like, I understand where they're coming from. I just don't have time to teach a lot of private classes. And I don't want to focus on that stuff, you know. It's not worth my time, really. And I got a family. So I'm like, 
you know, go to this guy, do the basics. He'll do privates. I'll send them to people. And I'm like, and then when you're ready to come to a class, come. But just realize, like, you're always going to, there's always going to be somebody better than you. There's people in my classes that shoot better than me. Yeah. Like, I'm not the best of everything. Like, but I do, you know, I try to explain it in certain ways and I try to help everybody get better to some degree. Yeah. Um, I step on the mat and it's even more pressure like you. You're a trainer, right? And you put yourself out there and said, hey, I'm a trainer and I know things. I know enough that I can help other people. So that's a lot of pressure on you to, for people to see you like, well, let's see Daniel work out. Oh, he can't lift weights. He's not as strong as I thought. Nobody said Daniel was going to lift every fucking weight in the world. They just said, hey, he knows a lot about this situation. With me, I get on the range or I fucking do certain or jujitsu as a black belt. Like there's guys that give me problems all the time that fucking I feel like if we looked at it just by rank versus rank, I outrank them greatly. They're fucking tough. They're fucking good. Their attributes are a thing. And Z, uh, if you want to be better at something, then you need to do it more. And then I tell myself, hey, Z, if you don't do it that much, then you're not going to be better. So be okay with it or fucking do something about it. Right. That's it. That's the honest truth right there. Like, And then I weigh it out as, a, as an old man like I am. Like, well, how much do I want to commit to being better because of this one butthurt feeling that I got today because of this one guy? How much do I want to change my life for that? Mm. In the old days, maybe I would change my life for that because of one experience of fucking losing or something. But nowadays, I'm just like, eh, I just have to do better next time. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I guess I, I got a workout out of it. Hey, that's good for me. I learned. Yeah. I got good. I know yeah. what that guy does now. Maybe I'll try to, at least I know what he does next time. Sure. So, I mean, we need to be honest with ourselves, Daniel. Step yourself out there. Don't expect progress to happen if you don't fucking get uncomfortable. If you don't, just accept the discomfort of fucking being bad at something and failing at it. Right. But yeah, I mean, uh, that sums it up. I think we hit every philosophical fucking point we could. Yeah, I like it. Again. This is good. This is a good, uh, good podcast. We covered everything and, uh, and got off on some good, uh, good, uh, good topics. So is there, is there anything else you want to cover? No, man, I think we got it. And I think, you know, we've been on here a long time. My wife's freaking, I was supposed to take her to get her hair cut. She, got, she just don't want to drive, but yeah. she went anyway. So uh, I, thanks, I, Daniel, for ruining my marriage. <laughs> my bad. Yeah, my wife's probably doing the same, to be honest. But uh, all right, cool. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and end it. Thank you so much for your time again. Uh, I really, really appreciate it. And, uh, and you know, Anytime, anytime you want to come back on, let's do it. So I'm, I'm looking forward to you talking about some of that mental mapping in your, in your, in your programs, man. Like I think guys will really benefit from that if they, at a, at a younger stage in their career or, or life that they start practicing that uh, often weights, training, fucking whatever shit they're doing. If they start doing that, I think it's good to, to get a leg up on that now. And uh, even at special operations, uh, at fifth group, the, they got the Thor program, which tactical human optimization, recovery, refit. The R stands for three things, Thor three. And uh, we got uh, a performance psychologist there. The one there is Seth. He's a good dude. Um, and I talk to him all the time. He helped me with my teaching. He helped me with putting together curriculum. He helped me with performing during tournaments and fucking even performing uh, on the range just helping us with that stuff. That stuff is key, man. The, the, the sooner you know about that and the sooner you're able to implement it, the better you're going to be. Um, 
I mean, that should tell you something right there that the best guys in the world are looking for these. It doesn't just come naturally. You have to practice to be good at performing, right? It's not, it's not just like one guy's better than the other. You have to do it. So right. the best in the guys in the world are fucking using performance psychologists to help them fucking understand how to approach the culture of fucking uh, progressing and doing good at something. So start now, start getting a leg up on that. Think about what it takes to fucking mentally prepare to do something and get yourself primed, understand how fear and stress and fucking the fear of failure is, is a lie that you tell yourself that gives you uh, negative results. Essentially, it doesn't help you at all. So you got to focus on the good things that is coming. The nerves, the nervousness helps you prime and get ready to do physical things, not makes you feel like you shouldn't feel like a pussy because you're nervous or whatever, right? All those good things that come into play in your realm and my realm and, and life in general, they should start using that mental mapping and just start visualizing and getting the right thoughts processed through their head and start reprogramming whatever bullshit that they're the extra fodder that doesn't help them start reprogramming and start using words, affirmations, planning and, and preparing that actually benefits them in the long run. Start it now. Daniel's got, he's, he's got the inside track on. Yeah. I'm so glad. I'm so glad we covered that. Yeah. Check out the train like a Ranger warrior program. I do cover uh, the psychology in there quite a bit. And, uh, and I hit all those topics. I went really in depth in there. So I hope you guys pay attention to that. And again, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your time. And, uh, and this was really informative for me and, and I'm sure for a lot of people. So I look forward to posting this and, and thank you again. Daniel, always a pleasure, man. All right. Take care for you guys listening. I hope you guys have a great day and uh, take care again. <laughs> take all the care. Take all the care. <laughs>